I'm going to go home and see my mother. I need a cuddle. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. Yours, yours, mine, mine, theirs. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first Yours, Mine, and Theirs of 2024. This is the democracy-based movie podcast where sometimes our guests insist that we talk about aliens, porn, and Nazis all in the same show. Mein Name ist Roy und ich weiß nicht, was schlimmer ist, außerirdische, Udendliche oder Nazis. Hi, I'm John. And, like, what would happen if E.T. and Taika Waititi had a baby? You'd get Mr. E.T.T., wouldn't you? <laughs> and, you know, I think he'd sound a little something like this. I pity the fool who does not phone home. <laughs> Hi, my name is Andy, and I don't know what I'm doing. And that's trying, that's from Parenthood. That's my best late 80s Keanu Reeves dialect. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was Keanu Reeves. From Parenthood. Yeah. Okay. That was very, very good. good. What? No, I, oh, what that's hard. Doing. That's a hard Keanu Reeves word, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, people make fun of his acting during this era, but it's really hard to pull off. <laughs> it's so hard to sound like such a bad actor. But uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, Andy, welcome. Uh, you're finally on the podcast. And uh, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, you bet. I am Andy. I am John's older brother. Oh. Um, I feel like I can get some credit for John's love of movies because I love, I've loved movies my whole life. And I, I helped turn John into a movie lover himself when we were younger. I am a fan of the, the podcast. Thank you for allowing me to be on. It's going to be fun. Good. Yeah, it should be fun. Like I said last time, it should, be, <laughs> should be like old times, right? It should be old times. Okay, have we? Can you think of any podcast we've done where, like, halfway through it, all you could think to yourself was, "When is this going to end?" <laughs> like, if we had any miserable ones, I, I'm trying yeah. to think. I don't want to call anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eventually, they're all miserable. Like, I think. I mean, toward the there's a part in the middle where I'm like, I'm hungry. I think. There's a, that, that always happens. Sometimes when we reach the four-hour mark, that's when maybe I start getting a little grumpy <laughs> inside. But uh, uh, we're going to attempt to do this quick, more quickly than four hours today. It's going to be record-breaking. It's record-breaking. Record yeah. What, is, what do you think our record is? Have we ever come in under two hours? Oh, yeah, we have. We have. We're, I could look. Oh, shoot. You no, we're off to a bad start if we're trying yeah. to break that record. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Andy. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. And Andy, since this is his first time, he brought three movies that are important to him that are also movies we haven't done before, which is becoming increasingly difficult uh, because we've watched almost all of them. Uh, yeah. So, But we are talking about E.T., the extraterrestrial. I, I always call it E.T. Apparently, at some point, someone decided it's called E.T., the extraterrestrial. We're watching Parenthood, or we watched it. We're talking about it. And finally, uh, Jojo Rabbit. So those are the three movies that Andy chose. And if you listen to our last podcast, he kind of talked a little bit about why he chose them. And so I think what we'll do is, uh, you know, we'll do our regular thing. But after we're done summing each one up, maybe we can have Andy kind of explain himself why we watch these films. And, you know. That sounds great. Our usual stuff. Oh, you guys have anything you want to talk about before we launch straight into E.T. the Extraterrestrial? Really quick, uh, I got uh, a couple of books for Christmas that I really like. I got the oh, Siskel good. and Ebert book, and I got the Oral History of Airplane book, um, and I got some Crocs, and they were given to me uh, by Katie, 
And so it was really great because I'm just like, I'm observing all three right now. And I just want to point out that I'm feeling like Christmas comfortable right now. So there was a point, it, like Crocs came out and they were wildly uh, popular. And then within six months, they were pariah wear. Yep. And now they're wildly popular again. Everyone I know has Crocs again. Well, it's because you told me how comfortable they were. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I, uh, I don't care how I look. I just want my feet to feel good. That's it. They're extraordinarily I, comfortable. I think they went, guys, from a fad to, hey, let's not wear them because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to follow the trend and, and the trend's over to, hey, these are actually really comfortable and really uh, useful. They're great again. So it, <laughs> like, like, like other trends we've seen in the past, I think people, my, my kids love wearing them. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm sitting down in them right now and it feels like I'm lying down. <laughs> okay <laughs> very good <laughs> all right well uh here we are should we just start talking about et let's do it e. has it always been known as et the extraterrestrial or is this a retcon thing like star wars episode four the uh new hope or whatever i remember no. it being extraterrestrial but am i wrong no you're not you're right it, it was et the extraterrestrial in fact when i first saw the film at the Fox Theater in Provo, Utah, on what is now Bulldog Boulevard, um, the the, ta- the, the uh, marquee said the extraterrestrial. It didn't even say ET. I always remember. Mm-hmm. I'll always remember that. But it it was ET, the extraterrestrial, and then it just got you know people just say ET because it's easier to say. Right. It is easier. But to yeah, say. I have to imagine that this is a case of them having to. Exp- they're like, we can call the movie ET, and no one's going to have any idea what we're talking about. So we must call it ET, the extraterrestrial. I think sort you of- nailed it. Yeah. But when I say it, I feel like I'm saying ATM, the automatic teller machine. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, I, it, did it start the whole thing of like like CSI crime scene investigation? Was that... <laughs> or parenthood, the act of parenting childrenhood movie. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's a joke in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall where um, the main guy who's you know, played Jason Segal. Jason Segal, yeah. Uh, he's he scores movies and and TV shows specifically, and he's the specific musician for a, a TV show that Kristen Bell is in called Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, well, I'm going to sum this up, and I don't think this will take very long. It's not a very complicated film. Oh, it so, is. E.T. is an alien who, uh, by the way, exists in the Star Wars universe according yeah. to Attack of the Clones. And uh, so he's visiting Earth. All of his friends are there. E.T., I guess, chases a squirrel into the woods or something, <laughs> and they just leave him behind. They're like, you, you're going to screw around. You're going to learn a lesson. So they take off. He gets left behind. He finds his way to the shed in the backyard of Elliot and Elliot's little family. Uh, Elliot discovers E.T. and brings him into the house. Uh, he hides it from the family, although pretty quickly he tells his brother and sister. His brother is the most fascinating combination of 80s team. He's a high school football player who also plays D&D. So I was never aware that those two <laughs> worlds ever coexisted. <laughs> I think, That's by a good the way... Point. I, I think, you know, and Andy, you didn't bring Breakfast Club on board, but one thing I would have talked about about Breakfast Club is, you know, the whole point of Breakfast Club is that it's supposed to, you know, dispel these cliches, but like Breakfast Club reinforced those cliches. So I yeah, think before true. 1985, it was a lot more possible for a football guy to be on 
playing Dungeons and Dragons. I, I mean, I can't say. Well, okay, actually, who played Dungeons and Dragons in our family? Like Dale. It was Dale. Yeah, Dale did, and he and played he basketball. Was, he was on the basketball team. Yeah. Yep. So. So yeah, so I don't know. I think so Jeff, I, Jeff Jeff might even played, and he played football. So, yeah. but maybe not as much wow. as Dale. Dale so back then, you could maybe catch a jock with a twenty sided die in their pocket. Yeah, I think yeah. you could. And okay. this also was Roosevelt, Utah, where it you really Roosevelt. could be a lot yeah. of different things. Uh, was, land of possibilities. The fun part of being right. in a small town is like, well, I guess we don't have enough people playing Dungeons and Dragons, so <laughs> so like there was a lot of openings. <laughs> Well, maybe it's the other way around that the football coach didn't have any players, so he had to go raid like the chess club. And it the was club. the other way around, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you look tall. Hey, nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw this ball. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, he lets his brother in on the secret. He lets his sister in on the secret. And his sister is, of course, Drew Barrymore. And she is so adorable in this. She's great. She's like. Shirley Temple in Heidi level adorable. It's it's just almost movie stealing. But so uh, this weird thing happens with E.T. and Elliot where they kind of start to sync up. It's like, you know, all the girls at girls camp, they all sync up, right? Well, E.T. and Elliot are sharing some sort of physical connection here, which makes it so that when Elliot goes to school and he refuses to dissect the frog's uh, then E.T. back at home is watching The Quiet Man and there's, you know, this neat little sequence where Elliot kisses some girl just like in The Quiet Man, right? When when John Wayne kisses Maureen O'Hara. So E.T. like starts to learn stuff and he learns that he can phone home with a speaking spell and a whole bunch of other crap. So they help him put this device together and they take him out into the woods. I think this is on Halloween, right? When they take him out. Yes. The woods. Correct. Yeah, they, they pretend he's a ghost. They pretend he's Gertie. If yeah. I, right. yeah. They, they leave Gertie alone at the other edge of the city <laughs> for four hours while they're like, okay, we got to build this thing with E.T. You just don't get kidnapped, Gertie. Yeah, she's four. She's got it. So, <laughs> And she's dressed like a cowgirl, so, you know, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, E.T. walks past some guy wearing a Yoda costume. And again, like, he's like, hey, I know the Yodas. So... But they See, get that's his- got to be surprising for E.T. because, it, like, Yoda's probably extinct, right? Because this is, like, after of all of Star Wars, right? Yeah. It's, you know, and, and so, yeah, all the Star Wars are done. And I it think seems before like- Return of the Jedi. Well, mm. well, I mean, I mean, like, when but, they yeah. were made. But, you know, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And so oh, it's like, mean, yeah. So, right. so yeah, so Star Wars is like a million years earlier. Yeah. And yeah. E.T.'s people right. are still hanging out. Although their ship doesn't seem that great. It's not a great ship. It's like a big green egg if you're into barbecuing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the, but they get this machine working and this machine is dependent on like the branches of a tree having wind go through it. So when the wind's not blowing, you don't get any juice. Anyway, they sit there and they hope it works. And in the meantime, they both, suffer exposure i guess they get all gross and et wanders off again always wandering off and this time when they find him he's like gray he looks like like mud right so elliot comes home et comes home and what i kind of left out is the feds have been watching this whole time i swear at one point they are just making camp in in elliot's backyard um, and they're eating the Skittles that, that Elliot leaves behind. Stop saying Skittles. They're Reese's Pieces. Are they? 
Oh, that's a yeah, big thing. Don't you remember? Deal. It was like yeah. a huge deal that that like there were Reese's Pieces commercials with ET and everything. You're uh, you're too young for this, I think. Oh, <laughs> I remember this. When I'm as old as you, John, I'll, yeah. I'll understand better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Uh, so, but the the feds break in at the worst possible moment when ET and Elliot are both dying, and they kind of quarantine the house and they start treating them both. And okay, this whole podcast has tested my ability to handle child actors uh, because every movie is just chock full. Because Henry Thomas is so bad. Is that what you're saying? That's why you sighed really big? He's okay. Uh, but like in, in this scene, this is where I can't handle it. When E.T. and Elliot are both dying and Elliot's like, just hold on. And like, oh, uh, it's not great. It's not great acting. He's six years old, whatever. I'm not mad at him because he's six. You're but, uh, real uh, like Gene Hackman and Royal Tenenbaums when he's complaining about his daughter's play that she put on. Yeah, <laughs> just, uh, just not believable, right? It's just, yeah, you know, he's a creature. I just, I, just, I just didn't find it believable. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. Anyway, ET does this weird thing where he separates the two of them, their mental links, so that Elliot recovers and ET dies. Yes. And so Elliot is sad and he has this moment where he's alone with E.T. There's this main fed. His his name in the credits is Keys because for a while all we see is his keys. And apparently he's been he's, like waiting. He's foreboding. Yeah. But, he, he's, but also he loves E.T.'s. I don't know. He's been waiting for an E.T. his whole life. And he understands and he allows uh, Elliot to have a last moment with E.T. And while Elliot is getting ready to just you know, shut the cryo chamber and walk away. We see the heart light. The heart light comes on and E.T. is alive again. And I have some questions about all this, but I'm just going to finish the summary. So he's alive. They sneak him out and they get the gang together. Everyone's on their bikes. And I forgot to mention when they went uh, trick-or-treating, there's the famous scene from the poster where he's flying in front of the moon. Well, this time there's a bit of a reprise where him and all the kids from Stranger Things are on their bikes and they all fly in front of the setting sun. And it's lovely. And they make it back to the spaceship and the spaceship takes E.T. home. But, you know, not af- until after he has like a sweet moment with everyone. So that's basically E.T. Excellent synopsis. Roy. Yeah. And can I tell you what I think it's about? Yeah. No, because I don't know what it's about. I've uh, There's a lot of stuff about E.T. that I kind of didn't, that never really understood, weirdly enough. Maybe I was too young. <laughs> okay. So I think E.T. is, it's a fun kids movie. Yeah. But I also think it's about a family dealing with divorced parents. I've heard that said before. So who's E.T.? Is he the new man? I think he's just, I don't know if he's the new man. But but this being about a family who's dealing with divorced parents, I also think this is about Steven Spielberg. Yeah. As a young I, child had divorced parents. And after watching The Fablemans, which I know you guys, or no, sorry, John has talked about. I love um, the Fablemans. Love it. Yeah, Great yeah. Movie. it's really good. I, I think you've nailed you've nailed something, Roy, and maybe that's why I. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying related to it because I come from a broken family, but but Steven Spielberg pours his, his heart and soul into these movies, especially as it pertains to his home his own life, and I think that he put a lot of th- feelings that he felt into this film, and so he was able to layer in those feelings of alienation. Um, uh, maybe isolation, needing a friend with this fun, amazing science fiction story with the um, extraterrestrial to, you know, to buoy up the, the plot. But, but 
but yeah, I do feel like, I mean, and, and it's interesting that a lot of Steven Spielberg's films relate to broken families like that, single mothers and, and other situations. So yeah, I think, I think you're onto something. So does ET, I mean, cause okay. The, I mean, cause it is on its face. It's, it's a divorced family and they mm-hmm. are struggling and you know, those are just like right there. So there's nothing like symbolic about like the divorced family aspect, but is the point of ET is like, this is what's missing from this family. If, if divorced families don't get an ET, then they're still broken kind of thing. I think that's the case. No, I think ET is what is just the thing that, that the family needs to keep the family together to, to, to kind of tie the family together. And so obviously not all divorced families need an ET. I think it would be helpful for some. Um, but I think he's just the thing. So whether that is, I don't know, uh, a family member stepping up or like a new adventure, or maybe it's just pure escapism. Maybe this family needs to escape from his horrible uh, circumstances. And ET is the escape that allows them to uh, endure the grieving of the divorce. Well, I or, think we yeah. should open up uh, like commerce with ET's planet where anytime any family gets divorced, <laughs> yeah. they get an ET. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that that's true, but I also think that Elliot in this situation, he's the middle child. It sounds yeah. like he's, he's, he's a sensitive, troubled young kid who's dealing with divorce and maybe is taking it the hardest of the three and is misunderstood. And I think that, it's ultimately kind of a love story between Elliot and this and, and, and E.T. And that E.T., he, he's able to help E.T. get to where he's going. And E.T., um, T., you know, is, is this, you know, almost uh, not a Yoda figure, but some, someone who fills, you know, the, the, the cracks of Elliot's heart that have been broken through all this trauma that he's been going through in his life. Yeah. So the one thing you mentioned, Roy, that was interesting about that scene when E.T. was in the cryo chamber and Elliot was, you know, he was dying and Elliot was alive and walking away was the, the words that Elliot said right before he walked away was, I love you. And I thought that was very powerful. Um, and I'm not saying that that's is what caused E.T. to start coming alive and for that light and the heart to start being again. But I noticed it this time around. I may, I may not have noticed it in the past. And and like I said, ultimately, this is somewhat of a love story between Elliot and this extraterrestrial who they bond in, unlike, you know, anything else in his life. And he needed he needed it, right? He needed that to to kind of help him deal with this broken situation and with his family. So I thought that was powerful. That's fascinating. And I had never thought of that. And one of my questions for this movie was uh, – how did he come back to life? And so yes. that is a plausible uh, reason, I guess, right? That, I think that's, we could ask, that's a possible explanation, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to ask yeah. Steven Spielberg when we get that chance to say, how did E.T. come alive? And it'll be interesting to say if that's what it is. That's my answer. So I, I, so you mentioned that there's kind of a love between the two, and I, and on a, this isn't like a romantic love because I do have no. to point out that at one point E.T. totally checks out Elliot's mom's legs. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine coming from a legless planet like E.T. and seeing legs for the first time? Just how much E.T.'s mind must have been blown by those Especially games. Especially in the cheetah outfit, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I guess we're assuming that E.T. is 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 a male extraterrestrial. And yes, he. I think he, 
is he quite is impressed with D. Wallace, D. Wallace Stone's legs, and who wouldn't yes. be in that cat in that cat costume that she wore for Halloween? Yeah. I keep like, calling him he, but I have no like reason to do so. I don't think they ever bothered to say. No, yeah, no, they do. They do. I, I, that was a weird thing because that was one of the that was one of the things that like that implies that ET and Elliot are connected is because Elliot says he's a boy. And, oh, I mean, Elliot he could knows. he could like specifically, yeah, like I think Drew Barrymore says something like, like is it a boy or a girl? And and he says it's yeah, he's a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe the point of that line is like Elliot is reflecting back on himself because ET is becoming Elliot, and so therefore ET is a boy, and he may not have been a boy before they did the weird alien connection thing. So maybe mm-hmm. that's what it's saying. But you know, on the surface, there is a line that says ET's male. Yeah. Okay. Well, so let me. Uh, so also during Halloween, Michael complains to his mom because he wants to be a terrorist for Halloween, and his mom won't let him. I will say, because he says all the guys are terrorists this year. Now, <laughs> one of my favorite Halloween memories was when you and I went trick-or-treating as as grade school kids, and you came over, and I think you were the opposite of a terrorist. You were just a commando. You just, like, charged into my house with your plastic machine gun, and it was very dynamic. No, 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 no. Chris Dodson did that. He no, was a sir. commando. No, he was he was a commando. I was a terrorist. I was a oh, terrorist. Oh, you were the terrorist. Yeah, yeah. No, because we had, and you cannot do this now. But we, you know, used to have like, um, you know, Middle Eastern clothing that our parents <laughs> brought back from Jerusalem. That's and, right. Yeah, and I I had a water gun Uzi, which you can't. You that's, also can't that's have. It, yeah. Yeah, and and so yeah, I that's that's what I was in fourth grade. Everyone said, "Oh, yeah, you're you dressed as Gaddafi or something." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was so, 1986, so I was a little late, a <laughs> little bit after the ET movie. All right. So, uh, a, a few more questions I have. Their mom apparently for Halloween, she just sits in the house with a bunch of candles. Like she just lights candles and just hangs out. That's so, true. That I don't know if that I guess that's not really a question. Also, can ET heal himself with his finger? Can he just like, well, I'm not feeling well and just like tap himself with his finger or is that kind of like you're not allowed to give yourself a blessing sort of deal i don't know that's a good question i wonder if it requires another et yeah because um, it requires love i assume yeah uh, well but there, there should there's a statement there to be made about you know being able to love yourself self-love yeah. that you always talk about yeah. yeah okay well well going back to halloween what's what's the deal with uh um What's the deal with Halloween during brightest noonday sun? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although I will say that uh, it seems like Halloween seems to start earlier and earlier in daylight every year, at least in our neighborhood. But so no, I, guess I we're agree. Finally, Don. catching up to like all the '80s movies where it shows everybody trick or treating, and I, I, I mean, I get it. I guess they don't want to encourage kids to go out at dark, and more importantly, it's very difficult to light Halloween yeah, yeah. when it's supposed to be. And so, like all these movies, they. Yeah, it, but it's it's really it's I swear it's like eleven a.m. or something. Halloween <laughs> on the street. It's yeah, like immediately you, after school. Like they come home from school and, and they're off, right? Yeah, I, I will say yeah, around here, like by seven p.m. on Halloween, it's a ghost town. Uh, like no one's out after seven. How fitting. Yeah, yeah. they so, get it all done before that. I, guess I will so. tell you that that in, when we get to awards, uh, which I won't mention yet, but one of my biggest goose. I feel like an ET is kind of um, the way that uh, 
daylight and nighttime is portrayed. And we'll get to that in a minute, but mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When the feds invaded Elliot's house, why were some of them coming in through the windows? Was that just like for the mood? Like they, like Steven Spielberg I, just I, wanted to make it feel. I, like- I think it felt foreboding. It felt dangerous. It felt scary um, with them coming in with those outfits and coming in through every place. But it, it was, it was a little cinematic to me. Mm. They assumed E.T. would be locking the door. Like true, <laughs> just that. And also, and also, um, you know, they couldn't see where they were going. They were all dressed as astronauts for some reason. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's my other question. Why were they dressed as astronauts? I didn't understand that either. Because this is like way over the top. If it's hazmat situation, right? This is, I guess, or well, they could have met ETs on the moon, and they wanted to appear friendly because that's how they oh met ETs yeah in the past yeah yeah. I assumed that maybe they thought ET brought space atmosphere with him. And so in order to exist around him, you got to be in your spacesuits. I know. So I do have a question about the feds again. I got I, Well, I got lots. So mm-hmm. were the feds at some point going to shoot the kids? Cause they had a whole bunch of guns. And at one point, I think before the kids flew off in their bikes, they had like set up a roadblock and they had a bunch of shotguns. So I have to assume that they were going to shoot a bunch of kids. There were a few of them. They've been waiting so long for this moment. <laughs> oh, ET's finally here. <laughs> it's time to shoot some kids. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if it really is. They they they're not sure exactly it, how friendly ET is going to be, right? And mm. so they don't want to kill ET, but they they definitely if, they, if threatened by an alien, they you know were ready to to somehow subdue it. And if it was shooting how its feet you- or something, I don't know. I, I guess you guys didn't see. How did you guys see the movie? I'm sure I saw it in the theater. I mean, I must have been really young, but I, I remembered well, this last week. How did you see it? Oh, just on TV. Unfortunately, on my computer on the train. But like, did you rent it from Apple or something? No, I own ET. Just, you own it, like the DVD. Yeah. Uh, I owned the DVD and I turned it into a digital copy. You know, Voodoo did their whole big like. Do you own it? You can turn it into a digital copy for two bucks. We have the DVD as well. And so like I did that for all uh, my DVDs. Ah, so you rented from yourself. Okay, cool. Didn't Steven Spielberg get some flack for one version of E.T.? He did the George Lucas thing where he edited the guns out in favor yes. of walkie-talkies. And I don't know, our conversation now, is it kind of justifies that whole decision. It's like, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe they shouldn't have guns because it is just, I mean... Who are they trying to stop? E.T. and a bunch of kids. But I guess they needed those guns. They should have just shot those kids out of the sky, like just, uh, you know, on their bikes. It, it, it turns out they needed the guns. So Can you imagine if it had ended in, in like young gun style with just a bloody <laughs> massacre? Standoff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, I think this is one of my final questions. At what point did Elliot name him E.T. and why would he have named him E.T.? Uh, I'm going to cover it this. Comic, was it the comic strip, John? Where he, uh, it was, uh, what was I just, where it, it said, he, I, there, it, come, it comes up. One of the, the kids in the bus stop says it's an you extraterrestrial. Mean an extraterrestrial, yeah. but weren't they already calling him E.T. before that? I maybe they weren't. They must I not have. I don't think they, maybe they were. Ah, shoot. Well, okay. Okay. I know we're low on time, but should we sit down and watch this movie again? <laughs> I could always watch ET. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna see if I can find. I'm gonna see if I can find that out for you guys. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna pause. You guys watch it, and we'll come back in two hours. Kate, Art. So, what'd you think? Did you guys figure it out? I'm more confused now. <laughs> <laughs>
You're even more confused, yeah. Yeah. I got I completely forgot why we were watching it again, and so I didn't even think about it. <laughs> it's so engrossing, right? It's, it's so, so engrossing. engrossing. Yeah. Okay, well here's here's a big question. What were the ETs doing there? even what's their purpose coming to earth i think they were collecting samples weren't they it's got to be their ship was like a big greenhouse it was like it was a hydroponics ship yes Mm. okay okay hydroponics recurring character yeah (laughs) if what if wikipedia can be you know um used as a good source it says aliens secretly visit earth at night to gather plant specimens in a california forest that makes sense okay but et's expendable though (laughs) <laughs> yeah apparently sunk costs there they're, they're, you're gonna break a few eggs so yeah all right well i mean you guys have more you want to talk about with et it's been so long since i've seen this so thank you andy it, it was a pleasure yeah you bet I, I i will just say this um i i do think that this is spielberg at top form and 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 you know he may quibble that he's done better work or you know in that era raiders was better jaws was better but but I think he married the this domestic story with this really cool sci-fi element with the alien and um, there was there there's there was such a connection between this movie and the audiences. I mean, it really was one of those movies that just went nuts that year that it came out. Everybody went to see it. It seemed to hit every demographic. Everyone loved it. I like I said before when we had the last podcast and, and and I kind of introduced these films, I was you know I was right in that sweet spot as far as my age goes where I really felt like I related to Elliot in his situation. I was mesmerized by the story and I just I and I loved I, you know I'll, I'll mention it in the awards. I loved the last third of this film. I mean it's nonstop. It's it's it may not be completely plausible, but it just moves and and you go on an emotional emotional roller coaster truly um and that end scene where he says goodbye to the family i i you know i I look back at my 11 12 year old self watching that movie and it was you know it was i had tears rolling down my face i i'm i'm not i'm not uh, uh afraid to admit that 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 it really affected me emotionally so um i loved it and 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 i have to give a shout out to john williams for that amazing score yeah, he yeah. scored a he scored a lot of great Steven Spielberg films, but that score seems to really match what's what's happening in the film and what's happening to you as a viewer very well. Um, and I love that score. So we have a, we've established that Andy is a crybaby, which is yeah. kind of embarrassing. Yes, uh, John knows that. Obviously. I do, and as in my family. <laughs> well, speaking of John Williams, uh, we were talking about it a little bit, and Katie said. I'm going to, sorry, Katie, I'm going to misquote you. I know. Sorry. I'm trying to remember the conversation we had, but like she said, what if John Williams was born like 200 years earlier? Um, (laughs) And, you know, he was, he would have been a composer. He would have been like Mozart or somebody, but, you know, maybe he would have been famous in that way because, you know, he's able to like make music that is, can be visualized, you know? Mm. Or you know who knows? I don't know. Maybe maybe it wouldn't work without the you know without the the pictures to go with it. And so he was born just at the right time. But it just seems it does seem kind of interesting that you know no other composer is such, you know he's like head and shoulders above them all. When you know you you hear John Williams more than any other movie composer, you also see things when you hear it. Hmm. Yeah, you definitely do. I think that's a good way to describe it, John. 
So it's not going to make my words, but I want to point it out because I don't think of it as a scene, as more of a shot. And I kind of toyed with the idea of us having a new award for like best shot, uh-huh. but I don't want any more awards. So let's not do that. Okay. But it's when the family hears the noise in the shed and they go out there and what's his head has dropped the pizza on the grass. But you see the shed that's lit up and you see the big moon in the sky and you see the family to the left of the shot. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's a great a shot. Gorgeous, it's a great gorgeous shot. shot. Yeah. I agree. That does remind me of one more important question. Uh, and that is when they send Elliot to go out and get the pizza, why would he discuss with the pizza delivery guy what toppings to put on the pizza? Is if the <laughs> delivery guy is adding the toppings? Yeah, He's just that, doing it I think car. I saw that. I think I saw that as a flub as well. Zero <laughs> stars. Yeah. Why does he have his catcher's mid? Did the pizza guy like throw the pizza? Because he's got like his baseball mitt. Is he carrying the pizza in? He's got little Elliot boy hands, and so <laughs> tiny little the, Elliot hands. <laughs> he needed the catcher's mitt to to grasp the pizza box. I, so I guess. If correct me if I'm wrong, this movie was the highest grossing movie of all time until Titanic. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. That I was, yeah. was going to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, considering you know that's how. Like we were talking about a, a minute ago, I'm I'm thinking this was 1982, right? That, so, that, yeah, it was 10 years. Over 10 years was it the top grossing movie of all time, right? Because Jurassic you know, Park came out in '93, displaced by another Spielberg, Spielberg. movie. Yep. It took Spielberg mm-hmm. to beat himself. I'm reminded of the uh, Jiminy Glick interview with Steven Spielberg, which I never saw, but I only saw the highlight of it, where Jimmy <laughs> Jiminy Glick's one question to Steven Spielberg is, "So, Mr. Spielberg, when are you gonna make?" you know, the big one. (laughs) (laughs) John, that's a really good imitation, by the way. Oh, thank you. Excellent. (laughs) All right, friends. You ready to uh, talk about something far more funny, which is parenthood? Yes. Yes. Okay, let's do it. All right, Andy, it's all you. You bet. This movie was released in 1989. It was directed by Ron Howard. Written, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel who collaborated with Ron Howard on his previous films, Splash, Night Shift, and Gung Ho. So they had definitely had a collaboration. And what was interesting is between the three of them, they had 17 children um, oh. and he, co- collectively uh, with their families. And so I think that, you know, they, they'd made these kind of bigger films. And then this was something that they said, hey, let's talk about being parents, which I thought was interesting. So, so Parenthood, um, it, it's, an, it, it's a story about the Buckman family. You've got Jason Robards, who's Frank Buckman. He and his wife have four children, Gil, Helen, Susan, and Larry. And, um, and they have, each of them has a story to tell and, and a different family situation. And so the movie, interestingly enough, kind of uh, moves between those, those four children and their situations and, and the challenges of of relationships and, and raising children. So, well, I, a few things before I get into the plot, this was one of the, as I mentioned before, this is one of the first films I saw after returning home from my mission and, and it, and it, and I loved it. And it was, what, what, what is interesting is I didn't get married and start having kids till 11 years after I, I first saw this film. So it, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, this, this, this film talked to me, um, and, and not necessarily as a parent, because I wasn't a parent yet, right? But, but it, I consider this movie to be about relationships and relationships with siblings, which I think is really powerful, your relationship with your parents, and just people in general. 
And then obviously once I started having kids, there's a lot of things I could relate to it more than I did, but I enjoyed this film and was entertained by this film and love this film, not just because I was a parent. So I wanted to kind of point that out. Yeah. I remember you made us watch it like years before you were yeah. married. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's interesting, John, this came out in 1989. I got off my mission in 1990 and I think it's a movie you guys saw while I was gone and told me about. And then I don't know if it kind of became sort of a family favorite since I was home. Um, but anyway, it, it kind of became one that we enjoyed watching. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, like on Christmas Eve, do you alternate one year you'll do uh, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life and the other year it's Parenthood? No, I, I don't remember Parenthood in nearly the same way. I, I remember, Andy, I remember you introducing this and saying, hey, this is a great movie. It's about families. You know, we should watch it. You know, we're a family. Yeah. We should watch it. And I just, there were just so many scenes that I just did not want to watch with mom. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is. I mean, at, at, watching it again, I'm like, ooh, I forgot, you know, what, what some of the content it was, mm-hmm. was, you're right, you're right. But no, we didn't alternate watching this. It's a Wonderful Life will never, never be replaced in the Madsen family no. for Christmas Eve, Roy, but and, and and this feels like a summer movie, right? It does. It doesn't feel like a really a holiday movie, but anyway, it, it's a movie that I loved and and some of my family have enjoyed it as well. But I'm I'm going to just go over the subplots, and I want to start with the one the ones that I found least interesting, and end with the ones I found most interesting. So I'm going to start with um, the Rick Moranis subplot, which uh, actually it's not he isn't the son; it's his daughter, Susan, who's Harley Jan Kozak, who I, who I really like, actually. Can I say, though, that his bangs are very interesting? He has some yes. really puffy bangs. <laughs> he does. He did that, have that kind of 80s poof in his hair, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I love Rick Moranis. I, I'm not saying this because I didn't like this subplot. It just was the mo- it was kind of the le- least interesting to me, or the, or the one that affected me the least. He's Nathan, right? He is the character. Is Nathan, I think. Yes, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, and his wife yeah. is Susan. Yeah. So they have the daughter, the young daughter that that they are just they they want her to succeed intellectually and academically yeah. throughout her life, and she's so the only child it. that that Rick Moranis hasn't shrunk yet. Yes, <laughs> good point. That's right. And Rick Moranis, interestingly enough, was introduced into our family through our brother Jeff because he is one of the McKenzie brothers, Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh yeah, from the Great White North. How's it going, eh? So even before we learned... We watched Strange Brew on this podcast, and it was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. So anyway, I won't go into this in, in a lot of detail, but you know, they, they learned through the course of the movie that they need to allow their child to be a child, and, and they can still do all these great things for her to stimulate her education, but she's going to miss out on, on childhood if they don't. And so by the end of the movie, Rick Moranis learns that she, he needs to be goofy around her and, um, and have fun, and so... That's the main story there, and, and she and he and her, his wife Susan, um, at, at some point are separated, and so he goes into a, a big moment is when he goes into her classroom. She's a teacher, and he sings "Close to You" by the Carpenters. And I, the only reason why I mention that is because I actually, for my anniversary once, sang "Close oh. to You" to my wife, and my brother Jeff was singing back up. Uh, in the you know the chorus and and that's wow. I talked to Emily as Emily and I were watching this finishing this the other night she made mention of that and remember that so that was kind of a nice moment for me and I and my the, the I got the idea from this movie by the way so wow 
So I, let me talk real quick about Nathan yeah. because yeah. I think he is the – well, there's so many people in this movie that upset me so much. <laughs> but <laughs> he might be near the very top of the list. And it's not because of the way he's raising his daughter. People raise their daughters differently. And, yes, he learns to let her kind of goof around a little bit. It's the way he treats his wife that just drives me crazy. Yeah. Like he doesn't listen to her and, like, he makes the decisions right. He's just, like, very – I don't want to say very patriarchal, but, like, he just – it's not a joint – relationship we just, here we discussed this and this is what i decided that's that's like a, a thing that yeah you know. oh right. okay i thought you were saying that you and andy discussed yeah. this offline no no no, 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 <laughs> no, no i get no. sorry i was quoting i was quoting rick Moranis, yeah and and, it, and it's hard i mean i mean she describes how she fell in love with him before in college and that he was yeah. big romantic and everything but still i'm like wow how did this couple end up together but yeah it, 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 it is quite jarring uh, and I will say like his turnaround at the end is it's really fast yeah. and I, I get it that everyone's had babies and maybe it's like another nine or months or another year in the future. But I, uh, I, I he gets I a little scrooged one night. Yeah. He yeah. gets, he gets <laughs> scrooged by his wife who leaves him. And by the way, I, I love the way she leaves him with the stupid flashcards. Right. That was great. <laughs> like, wait, a, I saw this on love. Actually. Yeah. I would say it's a precursor to love. Actually. She, yeah. she did yeah. it first. So <laughs> halfway so through she the, should get the credit. Yeah, yeah, and halfway through the cards, he's like, "These aren't very good cards." Like, <laughs> that was actually this is really funny. elementary stuff, right? She knows that this. actually. That actually made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah. I thought that reaction from him was actually funny. It's like, you know, she's way beyond this. <laughs> yeah. So, no. anything else before I move on to Tom Hulse? Tom Hulse, You're, one of my oh, favorite. Go. <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So that would be my next one, and that's the son Larry. And Larry is is obviously the the you know kind of I would term the black sheep or the troubled child. Yeah. Uh, he ran, he's ran into problems in his life, mostly related to gambling and getting himself in situations and, and deals that haven't panned out. The thing that's interesting about a subplot, it almost, to me, it was almost more about Jason Robards than Tom Hulse in that mm. I, and, and when I say that you're looking at Jason Robards going, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you continuing to allow him back into your life? Why do you allow him to, you know, or, or give him money or, or allow him to continue on without, and and as you know, watching it when I was younger, I'm like, you know, what is that? What is that dad doing? You know, why why isn't he teaching his child a lesson? But in watching it now, I almost see it in in a little bit different eyes, and that is, it goes to to show how much a parent loves his child and will do anything to try and keep that relationship alive. And I almost yeah. feel like that's what Jason Robards is doing with Tom Hulse's. He's my son. Even, you know, that comes up in his conversation with Steve Martin later in the movie. I will do anything to keep my son alive. I will do anything to keep a relationship with my child. And so sometimes, you know, the, the, especially in this situation, maybe the tough love approach he could do, but he, he wants so much to, to have this son in his life and almost like a prodigal son. I'm welcome. And that almost feels like sort of a, a, you know, a, a parallel with the prodigal son where he's like, I know you guys all, you know, don't love the decisions he ma- he's making, but he's my son. I'm looking, welcoming him back home. I'm welcoming, welcoming him back home. I'm giving him the fatted calf. I'm, you know, rolling out the red carpet because I, I love him and I'm worried about him. So that well, almost felt that came out to me a lot more disputing. I want to, I, I want to say, you know, not, I agree with everything, but also I disagree in a sense because it's not like 
it's not like he puts up with Tom Hulse, right? Um, yeah. Like one thing I kind of felt, and I don't know, I don't know if this is drastically different or whatever. I felt that Tom Hulse was definitely his favorite child. Like Tom Hulse is the the one kid he gets along with, and he it's, sees himself in because, Tom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah, that's kind of right. what I'm kind of what I'm thinking. It's like okay, this is. You know, I, I mean, I get the sense that Jason Robards never wanted to be a parent. Yes, and he that comes across quite a bit in the film. You're right. Yeah, and and he's the one, and he longs for you know. I guess all of us long for our youth. He's totally Uncle Ricoing um, himself a lot. Where he, the the reason he's he favors Larry so much is because Larry is the reckless person he sense of adventure remain. Yeah. 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 And, um, and you know, Larry spits it back at him and says, you know, I can't come to you. You can't be proud of me if I'm just moderately s- successful, like a normal, you know, like, uh, Gil. like Gil. Yeah. Like just, Gil. just yeah. like, like Gil, just, do, you know, being boring and, and doing what's expected of you and being successful in a very, you know, standard, like, general way like i have to do something like i have to i have to be dazzling and make my money well like the dad himself like getting rich quick is the best way to make money right yeah he <laughs> said something that. his dad quoted <laughs> that's true so, that, those are all I, good points andy i appreciate you though bringing uh, bringing up this conversation and framing it this way because th- this was my least favorite part of the film uh, but you're kind of helping me rethink it because i i larry is what larry is and Larry doesn't change. Larry's uh, a static character in this film, right? And he's never going to change it. But Larry is there to help his father change and progress, right? And so, mm-hmm. so, so this is kind of like, whereas Mary Poppins has nothing to do with the kids. It's all about Mr. Banks, right? Yeah, and, that's a and good so point. That's kind of, I think, what this is. And Jason Robards does need to change in this film because he's so disdainful towards his wife. It makes me like almost sick. Um, Jason Robards is probably the most childish person in the movie and he's the grandfather. Yeah. And then at the very end, after everyone's had another baby, I guess he's mellowed out and he loves his wife again. (laughs) Yeah. That, that seemed that, that was one thing. That was one thread that I wish was tied up a little bit because you, you never really saw him go to her and, 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 and show that appreciation or that love because she, she seems like an anchor to this family, right? Yeah. They don't show her a lot in the film, and, 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 but, but boy, he's a jerk, right? He's a jerk yeah. to her. He's a jerk to his kids. Um, he's a jerk and, to her mom? Yes, that's <laughs> right. 100-year-old right. lady? Yeah. And it almost feels like uh, they, they that was a little bit of a short change there in that character, but she seems like a very stable part of the family that they don't really explore a lot. But one thing that I, I feel like isn't isn't necessarily resolved, but the fact that, that as 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 Tom Hulse tells his dad about this one big big glass deal, you almost look you almost see Jason Robards in the eyes and say, Jason Robards has come to terms with the fact that that his you know his he will never see his son again, and he and he's going to move on he's going to move on from it he's not going to he's done everything he can do he's 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 provided any kind of option to help him out and. And, and this is this is goodbye. And and the fact that he left his child there, in a way, is is maybe a way for him to say, you know, a little piece of of Larry is is being left behind. I'm going to do the best I can to to raise him the best I can. Yeah, and it gives him a chance now to stop focusing on Larry, who he can't help. 
right. to maybe focus on his more immediate family. And I, yeah. he maybe kind of gets a little bit of, of a do-over. By the way, the kid's name is Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Larry has no idea. Like, yeah, he's, I guess he's the father of this kid. He's like, who knew? His name's Cool. Right. So, I want to say uh, with it, it's interesting. You, you know, Andy, you mentioned you know this is these are all real stories from Ron Howard and his family. Um, you know, one cameo in this movie is Rance Howard, Ron Howard's father, who Ooh. in the dream sequence deliver like introduces uh, what's his the, his kid Kevin right as the valedictorian. Oh yes, that's, is that that's what Ron. That is? That's Ron Howard's father, Rance. I read this in 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 trivia. And so, like, with this in mind, like, we have to assume that Rance Howard is actually like Jason Robards in real life. And at one point, like, Rance Howard had to look Clint Howard in the eyes and say, <laughs> I'll never see you again. Clint Howard, of course, played playing the... The bully, the bully's dad. The, the, the bully dad at, yeah. the, at the baseball game. The baseball he says, game. you know, catch anything, son. We need to win a game. You know, that yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Pull him out of there when he's talking about... Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's great. All right, so, so I, I go ahead and move to the last two subplots, which are my, which are my sure. two favorite, right? And and I, I would I, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my favorite for last. Um, and so drum roll, what 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 is my sec my second favorite? And that There's is the correct main, answer. The go main ahead. subplot, which is Steve Martin Steve and Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. My favorite is Diane Weiss, and I'll get to that in a minute. But but um, but the Steve I mean, Martin. Her, Mary she has her children are vampires. I mean, so yeah. yeah. She's got yeah. the biggest, most parenting to do. Yeah. She is. And she did this right after uh, Lost Boys. And, yeah. and, and in a way, she wore the same clothes and had the same haircut. And But she's great. I love yeah. her. She was so also good. nominated, by the way, for this film. For this one, yeah, she that. was. She's, she's she was really great. good. She's so yeah. good. But I want to get to Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen. I, I really love that subplot. That's obviously the main subplot of the film. Um, and, and, he, and, I, and I really like Steve Martin in this role, right? He'd been in a lot of more broad slapsticky kind of roles. And I really think he fit in well as a suburban dad. I love Mary Steenburgen in it. I think they make a really good married couple. I really like the conversations they have. Um, I think they're pretty, pretty honest and, and good for a kind of a, a, a comedy, um, you know, with, with dramatic elements. And I appreciated the conversations they did have because I felt like it sounded similar to, to arguments and marriage that the married people have, but they have four, three kids. Um, the oldest is, you know, is kind of growing up the same way that Gil did, really tense, really anxious. And I think it's hard for Steve Martin to kind of look and see that his son is kind of turning out the way he is. And so that's obviously a, a major theme um, uh, to his growth and development is dealing with a child. And, and one thing that's interesting about this that I jotted down is, you know, this is in 1989. And, you know, we weren't really talking a lot about the mental health of children back then. And that became a bigger issue in the nineties okay. and the aughts, I think. And so I think that this it's interesting. This film, you know, went that direction. I mean, we're talking about therapy. We're talking about a counselor and not that those things didn't exist in the eighties. It just wasn't talked about that much in film. And so I, I'm, I'm I, I appreciate the fact that they talked openly about that. And Andy, the fact can that, I, yeah. can I ask you something really quick? Sure. Um, there's a there's a movie that we watched last year called Tully. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no, I haven't seen Tully, but I know isn't uh, who's the director? It was Charlie Theron, right? But I can't. Charlie Theron is. I think I, uh, it's. I think it might be Jason Reitman. Is the oh yeah, director. yeah. I think. I think, you're right. yeah. I think or maybe Jason Robards. Not Jason yeah. Robards. No, no. I think no. it's Jason Reitman because she's been in a, 
uh, no, I can't remember if she's been in other films. But anyway, keep going. You may have heard us talk about it on the podcast, and yeah. I, I hope you haven't because we spoiled it really bad. But <laughs> if, if you haven't, if you don't remember it, I do recommend watching it because one i was thinking of tully when when parenthood was talking about steve martin's oldest kid you know who's having trouble um there's a mm-hmm. sequence in oh, in yeah. tully where charlize theron's uh kid is in private school mm-hmm. and they have a like a conference with her and and say look you know this is a private school and so we need to give a lot more attention to everybody else. Your kid is taking up too much attention. And oh, then there's wow. a there's a scene in Parenthood where you know Kevin is going to a public school, and they say the exact same thing. You we need yeah. to send this kid to a private school, um, right? Which is it's it, I just found it really fascinating that it's like okay, you know what? No matter what, if if a kid needs help, everyone's going to want to push him off on somebody else. Yeah, that's a really good point, John. I didn't think about that, but but I but I I did appreciate the you know this subplot for that, and it really kind of this this subplot kind of anchors the film. Um, Steve Martin is really the main character in it, and how he comes to terms with you know dealing with a child that's having struggles similar to what he had that kind of stemmed from how he was treated by his father and how he needed to adapt to that a little bit and. And, and love his child and encourage his child. And the subplot of the subplot, was, which is him dealing with challenges at work. And one, one, of the, one of the funniest lines I thought was when Dennis Dugan, who plays Steve Martin's boss, says, dazzle me. Dazzle me, yes. And, and then Steve Martin <laughs> repeats the words, and, and as only Steve Martin can say it, dazzle me. And this is, <laughs> this is mind you, after Dennis Dugan in full you know, shirt and tie and suspenders is working out in his office uh-huh. You know, not in workout clothes, but just in his work clothes, he <laughs> drinks water and everything. And yeah. just the way Steve Martin said that and, you know, it mocking him saying dazzle me. I just, it's <laughs> such a good Steve Martin way. But, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the best parts of the film is when they're trying to help their son, their child. And so they, he has a big party. They, they invite Cowboy Dan to be there and Cowboy Dan doesn't show up because <laughs> the stripper and Cowboy Dan got their addresses mixed up. And so Steve Martin then improvises, right? It's like, what am I going to do to help my child? And he becomes Cowboy Gil, as in guilty, and and then <laughs> yeah. goes and 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 the kids have a blast, and his son is happy, and you know that at that moment, and Gil realizes, hey, I can be a fun guy. I can create moments that are happy for my child, and not try and create moments that that maybe make my child tense or nervous, and. Obviously, baseball is a big theme in it, and you know whether he catches the ball or not, and and that's and 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 that's and now it's a little bit of a cliche in film, but you know you saw him miss, and you saw the the repercussions of that, but then you saw him make it, and 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 you know the conversation he has with Mary Steenburgen later when he, when Steve Martin keeps saying the the the, you know, the the line, "What if he missed it?" and she's like, "But he didn't. What if he missed? But what if he missed it?" and she said, "He didn't." And so I think it goes to show that there are going to be highs and lows in your life with your children. Sometimes they're going to catch the ball. Sometimes they're going to miss it. And, and we're going to, you know, you have to be prepared as a parent to, to, to deal with both situations, right? That the highs are going to be really high. The lows are going to be really low, but um, you love them no matter what. And so I think he learns that. But she, Mary Steenburgen also says, uh, like, did you really expect this one good thing happening would, solve the problem yeah that's that's true as well which 
Yeah, and, and he's like, profound. yeah, I kind of, you know what? I thought this good thing would, <laughs> you know, problem. you know, would like do more than it did. Yeah. Right. Can I say something? Yes. Little League was the most stressful time of my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I never did. Did you do it in Provo? Because I never did Little League. I did yes. T-ball. Where there was know. nothing worse than Little League. There was nothing worse than having to catch a ball or stand at a plate while a bunch of parents made noise and then striking out and hearing half the parents cheer and half the parents, you know, sound disappointed. I hated Little League so bad. Yeah, baseball is tough because you have those moments where there, there are real pressure cookers where the entire focus is on you. And I never played baseball. I played tried playing basketball. It wasn't very good. I did my best, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but I also had the, you know, and this goes back to your, your, how, how I grew up and, you know, I was living, I lived in a small town. I had siblings that were awesome and amazing that were great athletes. And, and, you know, I, I felt like I had pressure to, to make the team or to, you know, to, to do that. And so I, I kind of related to, um, Gosh, what is his name? I just have, is it uh, Gil's son? His oldest son? Is it Kevin? Kevin? Is it Kevin? I think it's, I Ke- I think it's Kevin. Kevin. I think yeah. it's Kevin. Yeah, I kind of you know I could see that stress that Kevin had because you want to, you know, you want to to um, make that basket or catch that ball, and 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 you have you you have parents looking on, you have your your peers looking on, um, you have your family name and 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 all of that, and. And I agree, Roy. That's a stressful time. Yeah, the, kid. the, the kids would constantly kid. say, you suck, Buckman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. So <sighs> so anyway, I, I, I'll, let me get to the end of this subplot. They, 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 they make it through some traumatic situations, and they get to the end. Um, and I'm not going to give my quote because I'm going to save that to the wards, but they learn some great lessons from Grandma, and they head to the school play where his, his second child, his daughter, is in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And their youngest kid, who tends to be reckless and, and likes to get into trouble, um, as, soon as, they think that some, as soon as he thinks that something's going to happen to his sister, who's playing dopey, he runs up on the stage and, and uh, um, things start falling apart. And Steve <laughs> Martin braces himself because he's like, how am I going to handle the situation? And then he's able to kind of relax and say, okay, this isn't the end of the world. Um, some parents are, are laughing and having fun. And some parents are like, you're ruining the play. And so you can see this inner turmoil his head. Like, how am I going to make it through this? And it's then the he realizes, greatest school play of all yes, time. Yes. Exactly. I, have, I, I have some things to say that will be during awards. Okay. I mean, how would good. you like to be at that play and watch that unfold? Cause there's nothing, sorry. I, everyone loves their kids, but there's nothing worse than elementary school plays. Yeah. Sounds exactly. like you don't love your kids. Oh man! So I, and like even middle school, but so did this reminded me a lot of the ending of Little Miss Sunshine. Oh yes, oh it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, and they just start dan- the family just gets up and starts dancing. They realize, holy cow, she's in a tough spot, and then they realize, you know what? Screw it. We're going to you know embrace this moment. We love our child. We love who yeah. she is, and so yeah, I think that's a really good shout out. And, and, and I just will mention real quick that they, he finds out shortly before the play that his wife is expecting a fourth. And um, so they're dealing with that as well. And I think in that moment, um, he realizes how much family means to him, how much he loves his kids. He looks over at Mary Steenburgen. He puts his hand on her stomach. And she looks at him like, 
okay. And you realize that they're, they're excited to have this child and, you know, whatever stresses he's having before about work, whatever have gone away and they're going to push forward as a family. So anyway, great subplot, but um, any, any questions before I move on to the last and best of all subplots? No, I think all my comments are, I, I want to save my comments till we're all done. Okay. Sounds I, good. Global comments. Yeah. Right. And I know we've taken a lot of time in this film and it's, and it's, it's a there's film. a lot, there's a lot to it. So it, it's so last, expected with this one. Yeah. 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 My favorite subplot is, 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 is Helen, Diane Weist, who is a divorced single mother raising two children, um, Martha Plimpton and Leif Phoenix, who he was known <laughs> by then at, at that point. He changes, I think he was Joaquin, changed it to Leif, and then changed it back to Joaquin. But um, I, I just, th- this felt, this was the most authentic part of the film for me, I, I, for top to bottom, as far as the acting of herself, of her kids. Um, and, and I, and it earned, and it really earned the most emotional reaction for, for me, which is interesting because I'm, I don't come from a broken home, but I, I just think that, that, that they sold it as far as the frustrations that Diane Weist had, how hard she was trying to raise these kids. Um, and, and she's like, she's the best parent too. Yeah. yeah she, I think she's the best parent. She is the, the scene. I mean, you could have, you could have expected the scene where she finds out what Gary was doing and, and finds that he's watching porn and everything. You could have seen her blow up and go crazy. And yet she sits down and says, okay, you know, what questions can I, can I answer for you? And, and, or, or, you know, she tries to figure out, is there a male figure in his life that he can talk to? One of the most authentic reactions that she had is when, um, when Martha Plimpton says she's going to leave home and she walks out the door and, and Diane Weiss is like, okay, but if you know you're leaving this, you're never coming back and, and I'm not, I'm not yes. going to help you. And she slams the door and then she looks out the window and sees her walking away and she runs out and she says, honey, do you need anything? Because, you know, anytime you want to come back, you can. And, no. and yeah. it's, just, it, it's a, it's a real reaction and, and we laugh at it, but, but it, it shows how, how hard it is apparent. To, to to you know to to draw the line as far as putting your foot down and yet having mercy and love for your child in, in that situation. The the other the other good 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 part of the movie is when um uh she starts when she finds out that uh, she's 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 married. Martha Plimpton is married. Marries Todd Canna Reeves, Reeves, and she starts hitting her with the newspaper. Um, it's just as, it's just that there's so many things that ring true. And then when she learns that she's pregnant, and she's on the date, she's on the date with the biology teacher, right? Um, yep. uh, Lee, Gary's biology teacher, and she just and she and she said, "I'm too, you know, I'm 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 not old enough to be a grandma." I, I went to Woodstock. I peed in a field, and and it just was it, it just was you know. And she's just trying. She's saying, "Why is this happening to me?" Um, and it's just it just feels it's funny, but it's authentic and it's real. And she's damaged, but she's honest. And and most of all, she loves her kids. Yeah. And 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 she's the one that I think the kids. She goes through all these traumatic events with her kids. She has this moment at the end of the film where Keanu Reeves is drag racing and um, he gets in the big wreck and they run and, and he's hurt and he gets out. Martha Plimpton freaks out and starts walking away and she goes and says, where are you going? And she's like, I can't handle it. 
And she looks in the eyes and said, this is marriage. Kind of like get back here. If this is what you signed up for, this is what, you know, you got to be there for the highs and the lows. And so, and that's when, when Joaquin Phoenix sees her and, and, and admires and loves her because he realizes just how much um, she loves her kids and the advice that she was giving and, and, and it ends up, you know, kind of a happy story there where she marries the, the really kind biology teacher. She deserves someone nice in her life. And um, things are, you know, and, and she, she, tells, she tells Joaquin or she tells Gary, um, Gary's like, do you think they'll make it? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, odds aren't good. But, but she says, I love you guys. And so I'm going to help you. And, you know, what you need, I'm going to try and get for you um, if I can. So... Anyway, I just I watch rewatching this movie proved to me how much that that subplot really really spoke to me, um, and I and I just loved everything about it. Well, I don't know, maybe maybe, and you keep saying, you know, uh, you don't come from a broken home. I mean, we can debate that later. We didn't, <laughs> um, but but I mean, there is something about a a woman who wears her, her hair very short and is the single mom and raises, you know, uh, boom kids. Yeah. John, (laughs) you just nailed it on the head. Yeah. She's K that's, that's K. K. And mom had frustrations with us as well. When, when they make, uh, (laughs) when they make the biopic of, uh, uh, of of Kay Whitney's life, I really need Diane Weiss to play. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Anyway, you know that short haircut and those and and, the, and her wardrobe. It really does tie a lot to what mom yeah. wore back then. And I agree, John. That's good. I will mention one other thing. I know I've spent a lot of time in the subplot, but I want to. I wanted uh, you know one other just devastating scene to me is when Gary goes to his mom and says, "I want to live with my dad for a while." And, and, and she's like, okay, you know, um, he's like, you want his phone number? And, and he, he gets the phone number, he calls him and you know exactly what's happening, even though you can't hear his dad talking and the reaction, both the reaction that Gary has to what his dad, his, his physical dad is telling him and the reaction of Diane Weist realizing just how much Gary's heart is being broken right now is, is devastating. And it's hard to watch, but it almost is like I. Uh, it's almost like Diane Weist is is not allowing it to happen, but but in a way, um, maybe she's hoping that that he'll end up not being a jerk. But but he learns just how awful you know yeah. uh, her ex husband is, and and that that scene is is tough. Um, but mm. but it was done really well. You know, that also, I, and I just realized this, I, I don't know, this is kind of cool. I don't know if this was meant or not, but, um, uh, you know, so we, we have kind of the bad, the bad dad of Gary, um, but also like the biology teacher who keeps asking Diane Weist out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Gary's biology teacher. And like, one, <laughs> like, one thing, like, and I don't know if. I don't know if they meant this, but I kind of, you know, we, we could take it that it's like, okay, yeah, the biology teacher is asking the other teacher out and she's, you know, the cute other single teacher. And of course he's going to go after her because she's Diane Weist and she's great and everything. But also, I mean, you could read it like this biology teacher really likes Gary. Like he's yeah. the one who likes Gary. And so he's, yeah. And so he's like, okay, you know what? I, I want to be a part of your life, Gary. And that's pretty cool. It's a package deal. 
So the movie ends with someone having a baby. And And I think we have a lot of pregnancies going on in this film. So you have no idea who it is, but it's... Diane Weiss. It's Kay Madsen. Yes. Yes, yes. And I did love that. I didn't mention the end. And I know that ending, I know it's... You can say it's schmaltzy. But I... it, it gets me every time watching that ending. Uh, the whole family together, new babies. You assume watching it that, that it's Mary Steenburgen likely or Martha Plumpton having the, having the baby. And surprise, Diane Weist is married. She has a child. Um, she's a new mom. And those that, that score, for, again, I'm going to bring up the score. It's Randy Newman, and it's a great score. And that, Gary that, Newman. And... and uh, and it and it just hits it. Did I say Randy Newman? Gary Newman? No, no, it's Randy um, Newman. Don't, no, it's Randy don't, Newman. Sorry. Don't yeah, get Newman. into his head games. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the, the score is great, and 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 it, it's a score that fits the film well. And, and I love good scores, and I and I think that scores that match what's happening in the film and match the emotion of what, what what's happening in the film um, really get to me. And and that one was was pitch perfect. Very good. Yeah, that hippie from Woodstock knocked her up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right. Very, that's very right. Woodstock thing. Okay. I want to say, uh, because I don't have the awards for these, I didn't make these, but just here are a few lines, especially like some of the uh, Diane Weiss lines um, that I really like. Um, and uh, it's, it's when she's talking about her dating life. And I think Susan says, she says to Susan, the last, no, Susan says to her, it's like, yeah, it's rough out there. The last guy you dated stole our furniture. No, Martha Plimpton says that. <laughs> The well, last guy right. you hated stole our furniture, which I thought was super fun. <laughs> like you really have line. to, that's like a, a huge breach of trust because I mean, you have to hire, like you have to like get a van and stuff to steal furniture. So, um, <laughs> and then uh, when Martha Plimpton, when Diane Weist like intercepts the sexy pictures of Keanu yes. Reeves and, and Martha Plimpton and Martha Plimpton's like, come on, mom, it's just, you know, this is just a hobby or something. And then Diane Wee says, well, I'm certainly glad it's not a job. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great. There really is some great line. Great. It's a great yeah. script. Yeah. So let me tell you why I really enjoyed this film. By the way, the first time I've ever seen it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I was never invited over you, to movie night at the Madsons. So. I remember you mentioned it would have been that embarrassing. Last, yeah, last yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think maybe I avoided this for a long time because I knew there was a paper bag full of porn, <laughs> and I wasn't sure what was. <laughs> how, but, how was that the only thing you knew about the movie? Uh, I because it it may have been pointed out to me by like my dad that like I, I, that may have been like a reason like oh our family's not watching this film I I don't know hmm. who knows right. Um, it should be pointed out that uh, we now know for sure, as my grandfather told me, that Back to the Future is porn. So, right. <laughs> was but, it Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Both? Yeah, both are serious porn. So he had a thing this, against this, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, he did. Huh. Yeah, he did. Oh, that's so, true. but here's the thing with this film, uh-huh. because I think it's tempting to look at this and go, "Wow, look at these screwed up families," right? And I think that that sometimes it's easy to look around us and and think that people have like really good families without problems. But I don't think there's anyone out there who just have really smooth sailing families. And so, like when I watch this film, I I feel so connected, right? Because I have family who has had. Uh, substance addiction. I have family that has had like pornography issues. I have family that has had mental health. I've had family that has had social anxiety. I I don't, I've never had a family member who was going to get killed by bookies, but 
I mean, I, there is like most families have a sibling that just can't seem to get it together. Right. And I mean, I've there, I've had fights with my wife over how to raise our kids. Right. So everything in this film is just really real and it's not exaggerated. This is like life, right? Like, so Diane Weiss character, she has a daughter who threatens to run out of the house and go get married. And so, well, I've been there. So, I mean, it's just, I love these films that destigmatize how hard it is to raise a family, but how good it is and how, how worth it it is to do these really, really difficult things and to endure this really tough stuff. Uh, that ultimately, I think, makes our families stronger if we were able to get through them. And I love, I love Diane Weist's character because her answer to all of her family struggles, and you could argue that maybe her family has the most struggles or the most serious struggles, is that she just uses love, right? Yeah. She doesn't try to fix her kids. She just loves them. Yeah. And so I just really love well, that. That was her first Very mistake. well said, Roy. Yeah. Well, uh, th- you know, it's really funny because, you know, you talk about like I, I watched this movie. I consider this movie like a very negative movie. Not like I don't. I don't want to say. I don't think it's like anti-parenthood, but it is. It, you know, it's 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 probably. I I would say it's weighted a little bit more toward the trauma of parenthood than the delights yeah. of parenthood. And it, it's. I don't know if you, I was reading the trivia for this today, and I thought it, I read the funniest thing because. Helen Mirren, famous Dame Helen Mirren. She's she's never had children, and she always talks about how proud she is that she's never had children. She doesn't regret it for one minute. She never regrets it. But according to her, and I don't know if I believe this because I think this is crazy, she said after she watched Parenthood for five minutes, she sobbed because <laughs> um, of what the grandmother said that you know once you're a parent, you're always a parent, and you live like even when you're you know, forever for the rest of your life until you die, you are a parent and that thing lives with you. And Helen Mirren cried because of that, because she said, Oh, that's something I specifically missed out on, even though I had this, this great other life. And it's, and that's true and everything, but I'm still surprised because I still feel like the movie parenthood is a great way to get people to not be parents, but that's just the way I see it. <laughs> just because it's so lopsided. I could I could kind of see that as someone who hasn't like experienced that yet, but I think it this movie is so comforting as a parent. It I just I just feel like Scene. I watch it and I'm like someone gets me. Someone sees me, right? Yes. Because like there's there's nothing in this film that to one extent or another I haven't experienced as a parent. Mm. And it's all there and it's all really hard. But I, I think if you just had a if, I, I can't imagine this would ever be the case, but if you had a really easy family where there were never any problems, I'm not sure if the bonds would be as strong. I don't, I don't know. But I will say, speaking of Helen Mirren, have you seen When They Threw Rocks on the fourth season of Documentary Now? Yes. Oh, <laughs> just watching them hurl rocks at each other. Rocks. Yes. Okay. Anyway, you all right, whatever. any documentary now. She's in every single one of them. She's in every single one, but I'd watch that one today. And like, I was hiding my face behind my fingers, but also laughing a lot. So, Andy, make right. sure you watch documentary now. I know yeah, I've watched it to you. I, yeah. I, I, you have. And I think the Summer Brothers have watched it and have said it's really good. I need to watch it. I got I think, Mike addicted to it. Yeah. He's, he's a yeah, Mike, Mike, I know Mike's talked about it. Yeah. I do need to watch it. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Segue. And you're, you'll get to learn about the ill fated. Uh, sitcom Bachelor Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. 
<laughs> That's a good one. Uh, can't wait. Uh, okay. Um, I have one more. I have two more lines I have to mention because they did okay. not make my awards. Um, and this is when uh, Larry says, I am better than that. I am not Gil. And then a mm-hmm. couple lines later, he says, they're going to kill me, dad, with pain. <laughs> Which yeah, with was pain. A, great, a great sobering line. Yeah, that cut down at Gil was was harsh uh, oh, from Larry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, good lines. Okay, let me see if there's anything else I have. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, uh, by the way, I don't know if we should do this, Roy. We forgot again, but the lines. Yeah, we forgot our taglines. I don't. We can do them both right now, really quick, unless we want to just save them for the end. Now nah, let's do it. You ready for ET? Okay, yeah, your ET tagline, yeah. Go for it, John. What's your ET tagline? Oh, uh, let me turn back to my ET page. Where is it? Okay. Uh, this ugly angel from space is more like extra-celestial. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Andy, you have an alternate tagline for ET? Yes, I do. Uh, the tagline is... Hold on a second. Um, ET is, in the San Fernando Valley, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> meaning take off an alien, right? He's an alien in space. No one can hear your scream. And I sit yes. in the San Fernando Valley, no one can hear your scream. That's my yes. tagline. <laughs> yeah. And also it's That's like, yeah, good. the neighbors don't care about what neighbors do in San Fernando. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my tagline is hurry up and see this before Mac and me comes out. So <laughs> <laughs> great flick. You know, it, it's, it's staggering to me that a studio executive watched a screening of Mac and me and they said, um, to themselves, this is going to be big. <laughs> they, well, no, they did not say that. They said, that's close enough to eat. That's close enough. Go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Parenthood. Uh, Andy, what's your parenthood alternate tagline? So this is kind of funny, but I said, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. Okay. David O. McKay. Oh. <laughs> I love, just so he's on the joke. poster david o mckay is on yeah. the poster <laughs> just in the corner can i yeah. tell you so i lived in korea for a year and every like souvenir shop you go into they have these ducks and they're they're husband and wife ducks and the the you like when you get married you're supposed to have these ducks and you keep in your house and every single pair of ducks comes with a piece of paper that says no success can compensate for failure in the home <laughs> really <laughs> yep oh. So he made, David O. McKay spread. made a big impression in Korea. Yeah. yeah is apparently. it possible he visited Korea as a boy and is like, this could come in handy for when I, you know, <laughs> when I address worldwide churches later. <laughs> All right, John, what's your parenthood quote? Parenthood quote. Okay. I, I hope this turns out well audibly and I hope I don't slip up. Okay. But here we go. It's, the tagline is, hey, be good parents. Yeah. I'm talking to you, you mother fathers. <laughs> okay all right Here, so here's mine what's another name for the rhythm method parenthood uh, <laughs> good, good, good. very nice yeah that's that's something yeah because the rhythm was off i don't you know what is what is with is it it's not san franzando in in parenthood but wherever they are suddenly it's like it's like the et aliens like like put a gas in the air that made everyone super fertile all at once. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> everyone gets pregnant. <laughs> all right. Well, John, are you ready to uh, take us through this romp, which is Jojo Rabbit? Yes, just in time, because while we've been talking for the past hour and a half, I finally finished watching the movie Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> so, okay. 
okay, Jojo Rabbit. They're in this tiny town, and it's 1945. It's Germany, and this kid, his name is Jojo. He lives with his mother, Scarlett Johansson. Actually, I have uh, her name Rosie. is Rosie. Rosie. Yeah, Rosie. He's a young kid, and he's fascinated with swastikas, <laughs> which encourages him to uh, go to uh, the, what's it called, the Volks? Jung Jun, Jun Volk something? Jung Volk? Hitler Youth Camp? The Hitler yeah. Youth Camp, yeah. He's massively into swastikas. He's way into swastikas, and it's yeah. the end of the war, and, uh, and his imaginary friend is Hitler is Adolf Hitler or a man called Adolf. And it's just who he imagines Hitler, like how Hitler would treat him, you know, and it's, you know, he just wants to be accepted. Right. So he goes to the Hitler youth camp and uh, Sam Rockwell is the commandant there. And his imaginary friend Hitler says, you know, you should really go for it with a grenade. And the kid blows himself up with a grenade. And so this is one is of it, those. <laughs> is it Sam Rockwell that says he looks like a Picasso painting? He looks like a Picasso painting, you know, when he wakes up. Or did he wake? This is one of those movies where, like, this child child blows up with a grenade and is like, is the rest of the movie just a dream? And because he died. Uh, but I don't know. There's, there's no way to know. Uh, his mom is not so much a Nazi as him. And she kind of does some asides, you know, like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be such a little Nazi, my little 10-year-old boy. And he's like, no, this is the way to go. Uh, and uh, he's he's back home because, you know, he's like on... Blew himself up. He blew himself up. And, you know, he's he's relegated to, you know, picking up scrap and everything. Yeah. He can't really be the Nazi he wants to be. I mean, all, already he's ostracized as a Nazi because, you know, he's got a limp because his leg got blown up just a little bit. Can I clarify something for myself? Sure. He thinks his dad is off fighting for the Third Reich, but his dad Correct. is actually resistant against Germany. Right, right. That's, That's what they yeah. say. And I don't know how... I, I don't know how that sorted out because the whole town says that either he died or something, or you know, yeah, that's he's never a coward. The whole town, the, the whole town says he deserted. Which but I thought that that's what the girl, that's what Elsa tells him at the end. Like that, your dad is, you know, this is where your dad is. Or I maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Right. I and I guess Scarlett Johansson could have told Elsa that. Yeah. Which which yeah. makes sense. Okay, the thing is, Elsa. Well, it's not Elsa. It's it, well, Jojo discovers Anne Frank living in his attic. It's right. Anne Frank, right? Anne Frank. Can I tell you that. really quickly? Yeah. When I read Anne Frank, up until that point, I had always assumed that Anne Frank was a happy story about a Jewish girl that was hidden and and survived. Oh, really? And so when I read it for the first time and got to the end, it was really upsetting. <laughs> I've never Sad. read it. Does it just stop? It just stops. Okay, that's a good way to end the. Well, maybe she just didn't know how to wrap it up. Maybe she couldn't think of a good ending. No, she got caught. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, she did not make. I it. I was just trying to help you out. Okay. Sorry. Okay, it's not really Anne Frank. It's it's Elsa, but it's Anne Frank. She's hiding in the attic, and he's like, "Oh wow, there's a Jew." Because one thing he learned as a Nazi is the otherism of Jews, yeah. and he he realizes that you know, considering the authoritarian regime they're living in, he can't really tell anyone that there's a Jew living in his house because that looks suspicious on him and his mother. And he can't tell his mom about it because he doesn't want 
he doesn't want her to find out because of you know what she might do and uh yeah, there's a, there's this big tricky situation where he's like okay yeah. i can't tell anybody a jew is living here but i can do good for nazism i can interview her to find out what jews are really like so i can <laughs> write my own book and this is a 10 year old boy uh my own book on how to spot a jew you know like their horns and their scales and, you know, what they eat and what they, you know, how demonic they are and how evil they are. And he's going to get firsthand accounts. And uh, I must admit, she's not like, <laughs> she, uh, she, I don't know. She kind of, kind of got lucky because she totally humors him yeah. to a fault. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what's his, what's his book called? You who Jew. Yeah. It's you who Jew. Yeah. Yeah. But she's not any Jew. She's a Jewish Jesse Owens Jack the Ripper, according yes, to Adolf. Yes, Jewish Jesse Owens Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's what's going on. As you can probably imagine, because he learns that she is a human being, uh, they come to respect each other and they're friends, right? Yeah. The same old, the, the, the lovely story is our favorite story here on the podcast. Um, but the unfortunate thing is. Oh, and she's living there at Scarlett Johansson's bequest, right? Uh, yeah. Because Scarlett yeah. Johansson, uh, there, there's one of my favorite Scarlett Johansson lines is when they pass the people hanging in the square, the dissenters in this German town. Um, Jojo says, what did they do? And Scarlett Johansson says, they did what they could. Yeah. yeah that's a great he, tries, he tries to yeah. look away, but he, but she makes him look, yeah. right? Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, it's some foreshadowing. Yeah. Right, right. This this movie is very funny and very not funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah. with 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 certain with certain things. Um, so uh, the thing is, uh, the Gestapo comes because they assume a Jew is living in JoJo's house, and uh, his old commandant at the uh, at the Hitler Youth Camp is there. His commandant, who is kind of waning on some of his fanaticism as well. Yeah. He comes to really love Jojo. I think that kind of yeah. what snaps him out of the whole thing. I think there's also this. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I can't pronounce his name. It's Sam Rockwell's character. I am fairly certain that his character is supposed to be gay. And yeah. I think that that's since inferred. he, yeah. yeah. Okay. Since he yeah, is living so. this life in Germany, that is also completely unacceptable that I think he maybe has a little bit of compassion for others who have been othered, right? Like, right, right. Yeah. You know. Which is, I mean, I, I guess you know, just just an aside. That's like the unfortunate thing. It's almost like, uh, y- you have to be othered to even understand, you know, the nonsense of it. Because I think you know what a little bit of what this movie is about is it's about like the dangers of acceptance. Because like Jojo and all these people, and you see all these Nazis, and uh, I guess one of the complaints about this movie is it's a little too sympathetic to Nazis. I have a few things to say about that. Um, But they are looking to accept, and part of the acceptance is excluding other people, and that's how they reinforce their own Nazi acceptance. Um, And and so, you know, the fact that, you know, all of these people who are are able to snap out of the Nazism... um, that's how they're able to do it is to see and be the others. So, but the thing is Sam Rockwell, he, uh, when they capture the, the Jewish girl living there with his Gestapo, she pretends to be Jojo's 
dead sister. sister. Yeah, who Inga. has has already died. Uh, Inga, and you know, uh, Sam Rockwell says, you know, when were you born? And she says May first, and she was. Uh, according to the identification, she was actually born May 7th. And so Sam Rockwell, you know, uh, because the cracks are forming, he was like a war hero, but, you know, when he was, you know, uh, put an away and, lost and an eye. Yeah. you know, and he lost a lot, like he was a little bit excluded, you know, what a blessing because, you know, he actually becomes uh, a little bit heroic toward the end. Well, we will get there. The thing is, um, the Americans... And the Russians, they come into town, and by this time, the whole town is is fighting. You know, the townspeople are fighting. The children are fighting. Uh, they're, they're doing, like, uh, Rebel Wilson is strapping grenades to these kids and saying, go hug an American or something like yeah. that. He says to, to Inga, it's like, okay, you know what? We won the war because he kind of, I think because he doesn't want her to go away. Right. And uh and and so they step out and it's very rude because you know it turns out the Germans didn't win the war and she she slaps Jojo and um but after they come come to uh they dance because they know they have freedom. And so uh Jojo's out of Nazism and uh she is a a free Jew and Okay. Oh, and the thing I forgot to mention. That's a small thing, a real small thing. Well, there are two small things I forgot to mention. One is that uh, as a, uh, an, an, an instigator or, you know, someone, someone against the state, they, they hang Scarlett Johansson and Jojo sees it in the town. And that's a very rude thing to do to a 10 year old boy, especially when you're trying to hold on to, you're trying to keep this kid a Nazi. What are you people doing? Right. You need all the Nazis you can. You don't kill Nazis' mothers, but they do. Uh, that does not help his cause, and that does not help his his relationship with his <laughs> uh, imaginary friend, friend, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing is that uh, Sam Rockwell, um, when the soldiers come for him, uh, Sam Rockwell puts like a jacket on him and spits on him and says, "Hey, Jew, you know." Get away from That's me! Right. I don't like you. Um, so that they won't hurt him. Now, I don't know. I wouldn't think the sol- the invading soldiers would do anything to a ten year old boy. Um, but I don't know. I guess he was just making sure because they definitely execute Sam Rockwell. Yeah, and but, I think that I think you're right, John. I think that yep. that they probably wouldn't execute a ten year old boy. But by knowing he was a Jew, I think they also let him go. If he was German and he was, and, and he, it was a 10 year old boy, they may have, they may have imprisoned him or something, but right. it was, it was Sam Rockwell's way of making sure that Jojo would be safe. Yeah. That's how I read it. Right. Right. And so anyway, that's the events of this. I, I took, I took 20 minutes longer than I meant to, but that's what happens in Jojo rabbit. I, I really like it when we talk. When you mentioned this last week, Andy, when you said this is what we're going to talk about, we kind of flirted, you know, with the idea of, you know, how a lot of people really liked this movie when it came out, and then there was a lot of pushback on this movie. And yeah. I was, I was kind of honestly, I was like hoping to watch this movie and and just be like, well, actually, this is why this movie's terrible. And this is this, and this is, you know, and I totally get, you know, th- this movie has so many problems. And I don't know. It might be the end of the year. I might be really tired, but I don't understand what problems this movie has. So I think I do a little bit. So okay. I, I'll say I love it. I really like this uh-huh. movie. And so I'm going to kind of draw a little bit of a parallel here, and I might be yeah. off. But you know one of my favorite shows is the IT Crowd. <clears throat> sure. And the greatest episode of the IT Crowd of all time is... is the, the German? The, the, the outing. Thing. Okay. 
Oh, right, the outing. Okay, sure. The outing, right? Which is all about the the crew going to. Have you seen the IT crowd, Andy? I have not. Oh my goodness! It's really funny. Okay, the outing is one of the greatest twenty minutes of television ever made. It's just so incredibly funny. Um, but basically, I mean, they go to a gay musical, and um, I mean, there's a lot of jokes, and and so. I feel like the plot of the movie is to expose one of the characters as being homophobic and make fun of him for being homophobic. But then I talked to my gay sister and she's like, uh, but he's still making gay jokes and people are still laughing at it. So I really hate this episode. Yeah. And so while I love it and I think it makes a statement for tolerance, I, I can understand other people's perspectives. And so I think with this, I think this movie, and I, I think it was was it Mel Brooks that said the best way to defeat Hitler is to make fun of him, mm-hmm. right, or to make him look yeah. stupid. Yeah, and and so I, I think that this, that's I I think this movie's done really well. But I, I remember reading a review from uh, a Jewish scholar who I think he said like, "Hey, you know, in the in the, the play, the producers they talk about making springtime for Hitler and what an awful awful." production that would be well it looks like taika waititi went ahead and did it right and so i can kind of see the perspective that even though they're making fun of hitler and even though like they're trying to point out that all this anti-semitism that is that is used throughout the movie from my perspective it is used to point out how wrong it is how very obviously wrong it is right but it's still there and it's still getting some laughs and so i can see why that would upset some people. And then I guess to your thing, John, where you said that like the Nazis in this movie are being treated too kindly. But I think the point is it's not like Germany was just full of a giant population of evil people. Yeah. You did have resistance. Yeah. Yeah. It was a country. Well, but like even the people who found themselves kind of swept up in the Nazism, right? I, I, I mean, I don't think they were like, you know what? I would love to be evil. And I'm, you know, this is the way to go. I think people get swept up and people's worst tendencies get exploited. And and people did awful, awful, unforgivable things. But I think like Sam Rockwell, right? Like I think he's supposed to be a decent character, but also he like believed in the cause that's an evil cause. And I just think that there's, the, everyone has a mixed bag. And I think people can be, convinced to do awful things even if they're not evil people and so um that's that's a good point yeah Yeah. that's what i thought of it like okay i thought about um you know it is kind of funny like uh you know one could say how come you don't see any nice nazis in movies (laughs) let's let's ask that question and the answer is kind of obvious but not so obvious and i'm just gonna break it down again the reason you can't have a nice nazi isn't you know it yes it's obvious but the thing about being a nazi is it's based on sadism it's based on you you have within yourself your whole idea your worldview is that you are better than someone else yeah and Mm -hmm. so that's why it's it's weird to see like nazis being nice to anybody because the whole point is cutting people down to build yourself back up it's just straight you know bullying right it's it's a whole philosophy based on that and when jojo says i am a nazi and elsa says you're not a nazi you're just a kid who likes swastikas and he's like well i'm really into swastikas right i'm massively Um, into swastikas (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i think she because she reads him 
as who he actually is. He is a kid who wants to be accepted and he's looking for acceptance and he's looking so hard to for acceptance that he buys into these ideals that, okay, this group of people is definitely better than this other group of people for all these lies that we make up. And so we we have this worldview and we are going to we are justified in in othering this other group. But she sees past that because she knows he is a kind kid who sees people as individuals just as as he as as he sees her right and you know sam rockwell uh i think you know he he did buy into it but it's you know i i mean toward the end like his it, it's a worldview shift right and so and i think the movie shows that pretty well and you know what it might be a little bit nice to nazis but i, I mean honestly i don't think we need to be meaner than Nazis to make a point. That's just being mean. That's actually kind of the Nazi way of doing things, to just That's be true. mean blindly. It's using um, their philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, actually, and I don't want to say like, look at these humans because you know what? Rebel Wilson was not a human being in this movie. She's yeah. like, and, and it was you know a cartoon. like a cartoon a bit. Yeah, and yeah. I think the Nazis were way cartoonish. But I think the movie did a good job of you know setting the stage. It's like, okay, these were, you know really ultimately scared and insecure people who are looking to connect with anything and the danger of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, and they were exploited. I, I I think the vast majority of the people were exploited by truly evil people. There were a handful Mm -hmm. of evil people at the top of the leadership who exploited people who needed something, who had just come through, you know, a horrific experience of losing world war one. And, 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 and so whatever I, the point is, is like, I'm not, no one needs to make any excuses for anyone who 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 like embraced Nazism, right? Mm-hmm. Those are choices that people they're wrong. They're choices that people made because because yeah. because those people could have resisted, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, but it's just it anyway. It it's what it is. I think this movie was really good. I I really enjoyed it. But again, like for those who are upset by this movie, and one of the things I really liked about this film. Is that Germany looks really beautiful? Yeah, <laughs> and it looks like a great place. And it's not. And if you've been to Germany, I mean, that area of the country—Germany, Austria, Switzerland—is just the prettiest part of this whole planet. Doggone it! And it just because like an awful human tragedy is occurring doesn't mean the place all of a sudden became gray and ugly and awful, right? That's true. We 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 do. That's a good point, Roy. I mean, when we think of World War II. We think of Germany. We think of you know, bombed out buildings and, and grays, you know, and, and we, and we, we allow how we feel about Nazism to affect our palette, right. Of, of how we view the country or the people. And, and this did show that it is, it was, you know, it's a beautiful land and, and, you know, there was a war going on, but, but they, they were the village that they were in was, was beautiful. And they, they, they were people that took a lot of pride in their country and there's nothing wrong with that. So um, I think it did do a good job of showing that. Yeah. I, it's, it, it's weird to me that not, not that we're giving the Japanese a pass, <laughs> but it <laughs> seems like because the Japanese did some atrocious things during world war two. And it just like the, the, the human uh, suffering that was wrought by the Japanese people and the cruelty that happened was just in, incredible. And if you, if you, want a a good nighttime read the rape of nanking is a, an excellent book about what japan did while they were occupying china but um 
I don't know, like there's not a word. It's it, unfortunately the Japanese didn't call themselves something fancy like the Shmanazis, right? <laughs> but so I don't know. And and again, like it's just complex and it's complicated and it's just not black and white. And and so I don't know. I love this movie. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I did too. And and I, I think you you hit on something important, Roy, and that it is a very, very complex issue. And it's hard to present art in a way that, you know, shows the point of view without sympathizing with the bad guys or, you know, um, or, or not, not making the, the good guys heroic enough. And so this, this is a, is a, is a difficult line to tread. I, I want to mention two things real quick. One, the way that Taika Waititi opened the film with kind of comparing the, the, uh, the, the frenzy of Nazism with the, the with Beatlemania. Yeah. Um, I, and, and that kind of goes to, to what we've all been talking about is how, 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 how did these people, how did they become this? Right. And, and I think that this says a lot about people being whipped up in a frenzy over, over this uh, it's not a rock band, but it's, it was, it was this fever pitch, dream you know that, that that they've all been trying that they, they were all trying to to be sold to and and uh and so and he and so he likened the, this frenzy to to beatlemania and we we may scoff at that but I, I i think there's kind of some truth in that and especially with the youth that's how they were kind of hey you, you know you're we're going to be part of this it's going to be incredible and and we're all going to you know be a part of these, uh, you know, riots and, and parades and, and, and crowds, and, and it's going to be amazing. And so I think that that kind of set the stage for you get for, to be a part of this yeah. good time. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to mention, which I think is a, is a really important part of the film. And one that I think shows how, because really you're seeing Jojo change throughout the course of the film. And you'd mentioned it before, John, you were talking about the plot, but when, when Jojo interacts with Elsa and Elsa and Jojo's asking Elsa all these questions about what, you know, about being a Jew and Elsa, instead of Elsa just saying, you're wrong, I'm a real person, you know, I, I'm not any of those things you think, she let Jojo play along a little bit with these fantasies or these things that he had been told. They say, "Oh yeah, I, you know, we do sleep upside down at night. We do have we, and to, because because what was happening there is Jojo's like writing all this stuff down in his book that Elsa's that that you know he's telling Elsa and Elsa says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you're right," and yet he cannot um, make that uh, he, he can't come to terms with what she's saying because in his heart he's like, "Well, wait, that but she seems normal, right? She seems normal." Yeah. Uh, I, I'm hearing all these things about what Jews are, but she's normal. You know, she's a normal kid. And, and, you know, being, being a part of uh, a religion in my life that maybe has had its share of, of being ostracized throughout history. And when people learn who I am and ask me questions about how many wives I have, or if I have horns, sometimes I'm tempted to say, yeah, I have, I have four wives or yeah, <laughs> you want to see my horns just, just because I, I, I want to put it back on them to say, do you really think as you ask me those that I, that I am those things, you know, you, you're, you're, you've been a part of society for this long and you're really going to go on, you know, rely on these tropes or these things that you've heard throughout life and, and, and that are sensationalized. And, and so I think that Elsa was teaching Jojo a little bit as Jojo was developing and growing and learning about Elsa. And he realized on his own that Elsa was none of those things. 
And I think that that was a huge part of, of the movie. Yeah. Right. So like for you, like when you like turn that back on people, you help them realize, oh, I just asked a ridiculous question. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> by yeah. like kind of playing along and she's hoping that he's going to go, uh, right. Like he'll realize he's at, he's, he's that what he believes has been ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it's Yorkie who's like, to be honest, I think I saw a Jew in the forest <laughs> as they were being liberated and they didn't, I didn't see any horns. They looked yeah. pretty normal to me. Yeah. They seem, it's great. quite a shame, right? They, they seem pretty okay. Yeah. And I think later he mentions the only ones who can help us are the Japanese and between you and me, they don't look very Aryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's a good line. Well, okay. I really want to talk, and I don't know, this might complicate things too much, but Andy, it's interesting that you mentioned the bigotry that you faced some, you know, sometimes as a specific religious religious person. Like one thing I was thinking, and this is just me being cynical. And one thing I was thinking is, you know, because church is also another place where a lot of otherism happens. Yeah. Um, and and there's like, it, it is kind of funny, and you know, uh, it, it all comes down to like you have to get to know your neighbors. You have to know who people are really because it's very easy to like kind of uh to grow up in a situation saying you know it's like there are certain things that we do uh, you know that that enable us to get into heaven because we go to church or whatever you know i'm simplifying this this massively and Mm -hmm. it's not that much of a leap for people to take that and saying okay people who don't do what we do like on sundays that means they are bad people and that's something that's like that is also a weight that must you know, kind of be, that's a, that's a, the, a burden that must be overcome. Um, right. Because it is really easy to, to slip into that. It's, and it's a very ironic thing to, you know, to kind of like say, you know, let's, let's kind of think the opposite of what Jesus says, because it's so easy to do the othering thing. And it's so easy to feel included by excluding, which is just kind of a weird human nature thing to do. And it's so like hard to notice that that's what's happening. It's like, okay, no, I'm part of being, I'm being inclusionary. I'm part of this club. I'm part, I'm feeling important. And so often it, it could be any club that does that. Um, yeah. And and so it's like always something to watch out for. No, that's a really good point, John. And and I think that you you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said earlier. You know, even no matter what religion or 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 what you believe, right? Mm-hmm. Part of our life experience is is understanding everyone, right? And and who they are, where they come from, especially those that that may not be part of that uh, religious. Um, experience that you're that you're a part of and 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 not being and not being that uh exclusionary or othering that, that we, we were talking about because that's 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 what was really kind of occurring um obviously with hitler and 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 and, and we don't want history to repeat itself and i don't think that obviously we're talking about two different two completely different things here but at the same time I think you make a good point, and and I think that it's it's important for us as we go through life and as we experience these things that we are aware of everyone around us, other groups, other races, other religions, and not become that group of people who uh, exclude or think just because you're not part of my group, you're not going to make it um, to heaven or whatever. So yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you're not. You're not. You're not worth it. By the way, listeners, did we mention that this movie is super funny? <laughs> yeah, because so I wanted. There's two last things I want to point out, uh-huh. uh, and one is that as Jojo is starting to like lose his faith in Nazism, his imaginary friend Adolf becomes a bigger and bigger jerk towards him. Yeah. yeah. Right. And 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 so there's that, and then at the end he finally kind of says goodbye to his imaginary friend, and then the other is that. Several times throughout the movie, we see Rosie's shoes. She has beautiful shoes. And they're at the same level as, like, his head. Where, like, there's a time where she's walking on a wall and he's walking below the wall. Mm. And it's all foreshadowing to the very end where he looks up and, and he sees her shoes because she's hanging. And it's, yeah. it's just... My wife... is really well done. Yeah, yeah, my wife, when we saw this movie the first time, noticed that and said that that was a really powerful part of the film and and one that she she leaned over to me i think even in the film and said why do they keep showing her shoes why do they keep showing her shoes i think she said that before you know you 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 see um her death and and i think that that obviously was an important foreshadowing event um they also just fit her character right and and i love her character i love scott johansson i I think her accent did come in out at times but but (laughs) i but 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 i but i i loved um, it was a difficult character to portray, yeah. but you really saw the love she had for her child and you saw how conflicted she was because she couldn't, she had to almost allow Jojo to continue thinking the way he did because she didn't want him to know what she, what she was going through and dealing with. Yeah. And she also didn't want him to know about Elsa. Um, and so she was caught in all kinds of <sighs> challenging circumstances. Um, yeah. W- w- while she's raising her son in this environment. And what I love how Taika Waititi... Yeah, she is fun. I love how Taika Waititi didn't try very hard with his accent, right? I, cause yeah. I imagine that Jojo, he's like, I haven't met Hitler, but I bet he sounds like a New Zealander. <laughs> <laughs> I have more to yeah. say about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's fun. And there's like so many comments that I want to make that I'm so afraid to make, but like one of the... Right near the beginning where Adolf is trying to get Jojo pumped up, he says, Hail me! <laughs> <laughs> that's right so, but anyway no um i don't oh i did have a question let's see i saved one uh okay yes how did jojo catch a physical article of, article of clothing that was thrown at him by imaginary adolf oh good question right uh, he he throws the arm yeah. the swastika armband at him and says put this on and i just like i don't know how that works so it's pretty much he has the same power as the ghoul's in The Shining, who let Jack Nicholson out? Of the, of the <laughs> For crying out loud! Homer. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Good point. Okay. I don't have an Cat answer. Murder must eat. Okay. Uh, All right. That's the power of Nazism. It's like yeah. it's, it it manifested a physical being. All right. Well, are we ready to start doing some awards? Uh, yes. We have first. we have commercial break. And John, please, I'm begging you during this commercial break, don't forget to mention our Patreon. Okay, I'm going to mention the Patreon first. You guys, the Patreon is live. We mentioned it last time. And I will say that since we last spoke, many, many, many person have joined the Patreon. (laughs) If you want to join, you know, I will suggest, you know, joining immediately because it's only a dollar a month. Or, you know what, you can join six months from now and pay a dollar and then quit and just collect all the, you know, just download all the MP3s at once. (laughs) Which is what I usually do when I do Patreons. Um, But, uh, okay, we did a a hint of what the Patreon was. And it was mostly just 
uh, outtakes of us saying um, which is it is so zen. You guys, there's nothing more zen than hearing our um outtakes for <laughs> ten minutes. It's really, it's a really great thing to hear. But and Roy, I didn't tell you this. This is news to you. Um, but I actually uh, collected a couple of bonus things. Like uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, Katie gave me the Siskel and Ebert book and the Airplane Oral History book. Um, I did do ten minutes where I read from those books and commented a little. Um, I only just now realized when you said airplane, the oral history, you weren't talking about the invention of the airplane. No, 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 no. The movie Airplane. Sorry, the movie Airplane. I probably should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah, no. By Katie way, got, got me the mo- the the oral history of the movie Airplane, and it's actually super fun to read. Speaking of which, uh, Leslie Nielsen, I am about to uh, do a Fantasy Murder Love Triangle podcast with Leslie Nielsen, so I'll just plug that right now, and I think Ammon, yeah. Ammon is going to be joining us. Ooh. This Saturday, it'll be a lot of fun. Anyway, oh, that'll be fun. Also, Wait, what what shows are you watching? The Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Columbo. He's in all three of those. He's in all three of them. Oh, yeah. okay. It's wow. it's serious, Leslie Nielsen. Though it's not funny, Leslie Nielsen. That sounds funnier than yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> serious Leslie Nielsen is funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I learned just just two days ago that the joke, "Why did the chicken cross the road?" and the answer is to get to the other side. I learned just barely that what that really means is he's dead. And he got to the other side. I like, never thought that, of it that way. That's oh, the, the joke. Side. The real punchline is he died and he went to the other side. side. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Okay. There's so there's several meanings. That's I guess that's why it's such a classic. Okay, fine. Uh, thank you for that commercial of the chicken. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, email us at yoursmindtherespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go to the blog, which is kind of caught up. Yoursmindtherespodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, you can go right to the spotify page which we're hosted by spotify now so you go to spotify make sure you listen on spotify um andy by the way um brother andy i'm I'm talking to you right now yes tell all your friends when they listen to this to listen on spotify because if you're the most listened to uh by the end of the year you could win a prize uh which massive uh, prize massive prize we sent the prize to crystal uh who was the most listened to uh, podcast last year and so she should have received her prize uh, i hope she did happy. And i'm gonna, try and, sp- happy. I'm gonna yeah. try and spread the word so yeah. we can get my podcast listened to so yeah. Yeah. oh yeah totally do that. do that um yeah and everybody listen on apple Podcasts. subscribe there um and you know just subscribe there then it goes right to your phone or your device or whatever so totally do that and uh, make sure you go to our Facebook group. That way you can vote. That way you can volunteer like uh, Andy did uh, for this one. You can vote on what movies we watch. You can vote on the genres. You can watch Roy take notes. Uh, the Facebook is the place to be until we can find a better place to be. Yeah, we still have like four or five slots open for the next year for guests. So, you know. Nice. Okay. Yeah. We'll do that. Okay. So anyway, that is the commercial break contact information. I think that's everything. I don't know. I, it is. I do want to say that my alternate tagline for Jojo rabbit is be the rabbit. Oh, alternate taglines. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. Alternate tag, my alternate tagline for, Oh, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> zazzle.com slash store slash Rex Bassier. That's our Zazzles. <laughs> what a mess. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a, go to the Zazzle thing. You can, you can, uh, you can, uh, purchase, um, some, uh, coasters and playing cards there that say your money there's on it. Um, my Jojo Rabbit tagline, buddies with Hitler, yes, but buddies with a Jewish girl, Jojo did not see that coming. 
<laughs> oh, you worked it in. I, well I, done. That's, thank you, Zoe, for always saying not CCT that. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what do you got? And and you thought your imaginary friend was weird. Yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's perfect. All right. Well, let me tell you guys really quick that our Rotten Tomato average was ninety percent. Do you want to guess which movie dragged it down? Uh, Parenthood. Nope. Uh, Judge Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit is a mere 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. I should have realized that because, I mean, we talked about all the people who don't like Jojo Rabbit. I guess, or just, you know, I don't know. I, What's interesting is uh, the, the the audience award, I think, or sorry, the audience rating for Rotten Tomatoes, which I know is always suspect. I think that's quite yeah. high for Jojo Rabbit. So It is. So Parenthood was a 92% and E.T. almost 100%, 99%. So like a couple of reviewers out there are like, not as good as Mac and Me, which hasn't come out yet. <laughs> um, good film. All right. Here we go. You guys ready? Yes. Okay. Yes. Andy, your favorite movie title? My best title is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, it's oh. unique. It, I, I just, I think it's great. It, it, it's, it, you know, going into it, if you don't know anything about it, you're like, why is it called Jojo Rabbit? It's, you, you might even heard the present, the, uh, the, the uh, plot of the, fil- the film and not known what it's about going into it. I think it's a unique name. I think how you learn about why it's called Jojo Rabbit is a unique part of the film. And so I just think it's a very great title. We didn't John. talk about that, but he was mm. supposed to kill a rabbit, but he lets the rabbit yeah. go kind of showing, yeah. you know, his, his true, the, the Nazis who are saying you have to kill the rabbit. That's like where Nazism yeah. leads. Cause it's all yeah. about, you know, that's the ultimate exclusionary. He thing. doesn't love book burning. You can tell he doesn't love a lot of, Nazi things at Nazi yeah. camp, yeah, but he, right. he's massively into swastikas. John, favorite movie title? Uh, I'm going to go with Parenthood because of the double meaning. Because they're all hoods. <laughs> That's the double meaning. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going with Jojo Rabbit. Okay. Oh, okay. John, what's your favorite movie poster? Do the oh, blue and black well, they it, come it, through for you? Yeah. Well, the blue and black do come through. For, it, the ET poster of the bike flying across the moon. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's my pick too. Andy, yeah. what do you think? E.T. Yeah, it just it just brings back so many memories of, of me seeing it for the first time, and it's a, a great. Plus, you don't see E.T. right, and and I think before you went to the film, you, you know, unless you saw our you know doc, move, sneak previews or at the movies or whatever that that showed the the character, they were trying to keep the character hidden before you went and saw it. Well, it's so a good it, thing because it's intriguing. I don't know. I don't. Know. This might be an unpopular opinion, but E.T.'s gross looking. Yeah. <laughs> People thought he was cute, and, and he is, but he is kind of gross looking. Yeah. All right. Real favorite tagline. Andy, what's your favorite? Well, you know, the taglines are the ones you put on Facebook. I think there's only one, right? I And so, I mean, Jojo Rabbit had the cast on it. I can't remember seeing a tagline. The tagline that I saw was Parenthood, It Could Happen to You. Yeah. So, I, as a default, I'm saying that's my favorite tagline. That's what I picked too. Now, E.T., it said E.T., the extraterrestrial, and then there was a line below that, and I thought, does this title keep going? And I can't remember what that line is, oh, but it's like E.T., the extraterrestrial, and his adventures on Earth. That's it, oh. yeah, and his adventures on Earth. So, okay, yeah, yeah. but that doesn't win, right? Yeah. No. It, yeah. Okay, well, here I, I also picked It Could Happen to You, but here's the thing. Let's apply that to the Jojo Rabbit poster. <laughs> like being a Nazi could happen to you. Yeah, that's true. All right, best opening credits, John. Oh, okay, well, the Jojo Rabbit and the Beatles in German. The, yes. the Beatles in German, I want to hold your hand, like as he's running down the street being a Nazi, yeah. Okay. Yep, I am the same. Yep, that's my pick, too. Is it, come give me a deiner Hand? So, Sounds it. 
It's very nice. All right, uh, Andy, your favorite titular line. I would say they say the word "et" a lot in the movie. I don't. I. I. I do they ever say the word "parenthood" in the film? I don't think they do. They said this is marriage. That was her big chance. Yeah, that's true. You should have said this is this parenthood. This is parenthood. Yeah. Yep. This is parenthood and then look straight at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Jojo Rabbit is a lot in the film. but uh, It is, yeah. E.T. phone home. I mean, it's it's classic. Yeah. All right, John, I'm going to play yours, okay? Right. I haven't heard it. Okay. But he's not a goblin. He's a spaceman. Oh, an extraterrestrial. Yeah. That's I good. put in the extraterrestrial, yeah. So I, f- I found one that actually... Okay, here you go. The extraterrestrial. Oh, <laughs> God, he's talking. What a find. Oh, what a find. The extraterrestrial. <laughs> the extraterrestrial. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I think it may have Some people don't catch it better if you did that once. I don't know. I, well, I don't know. We can debate that later. Well, I have an honorable mention. It's hard too, to catch. So. You're right. Good catch. Yeah, here's one. Here's my honorable mention. Okay. Scared little rabbit. Maybe we should snap your neck too. Jojo. The extraterrestrial. <laughs> Sorry. That's good. That's great. Uh, it's going to be a good 2024. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, John, what's now, your favorite I think, technology? I don't oh. think they said Jojo Rabbit a lot in Jojo Rabbit. In the first? Um, it was just the rabbit scene, I think. No, they go, Jojo Rabbit, Jojo Rabbit. They, like, taunt him and actually say it. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they say it, but I think it's just that scene that they say it. Like, I don't know yeah. if he's, like, but that's fine. Yeah, it, it's said. That's fine. Technology? Yeah, what's your tech? Okay, well... It was kind of a throwaway tech, but at one time Sam Rockwell says, "Okay, you need to. You can go feed the clones," and it shows a quick shot of all the German clones. <laughs> oh yeah, and which is like I don't know. That was just kind of uh, that's for as wacky as a movie as it is. It was just like one second of a room full of German clones. So I was like, "Oh okay." I didn't even catch that. I Yeah, no, it was like in in the Andy, do you remember this? It was like yes, very easy I, to miss. I just saw yeah. it. I just saw yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. All right, Andy, what's your favorite technology? Favorite technology and this is maybe easy, but uh I, I think what ET builds to phone home, right? He uses yeah. a speaking spell. Yeah, I knew you'd take that one. Circular so, yeah. saw, wire hanger. I mean, I, I think it's unique the way you see him pull everything together. This These simple household yeah. items. Yeah. But, but yeah. He, he's obviously smart. Well, that's my pick, too. The Speak and Spell Interstellar Communicator. Pretty that's good. That's right. That's right. All right. Andy, what's your favorite name of any of these characters? Favorite name had to be Yorkie. Yorkie! Yorkie! <laughs> JoJo's <laughs> best friend. I will say I love Gertie. I love Drew Barrymore's name. Gertie. And, and E.T. Gertie, but Joe, Yorkie is my favorite name. So speaking of names and E.T., I was at uh, Universal Studios in California, and there's the E.T. ride. And at the beginning of the ride, you verbally speak Give them into your name. A yeah, you tell them what your name is. <laughs> yes. And I typed in J.R., and at the end of the ride, it was like... I was with uh, you. What, did, what I, does E.T. say at the end? He He's says, like, goodbye, Jonathan. Goodbye, <laughs> Rebecca. Goodbye, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> we did the we did the same thing. We gave like a fake name that was really like this big complicated name, and I think he said <laughs> goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, Andy. Goodbye, friend. 
So they used the word friend because he couldn't uh, pronounce the. Oh, the dang it! No, name. I wanted to. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to hear the big yeah. one. Name. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the if if you can't if you can't pronounce the word, they just replace it with friend. Uh, John, yeah. did you do what was your pick for name? Uh, I didn't. I didn't say uh, honorable yeah. mention to Cowboy Gill. Cowboy Gill, as in Gill Great team. Name. Yeah. Yep. Uh, how about Captain Kletzendorf? That's very good. Rockwell. I yeah. had that too. That's yeah. a great name, Sam Rockwell. Uh, John, what's your favorite food? Honorable mention to the floor pie, uh, which is the floor pizza pie on the ground. The, the yard pie? The yard pie, yeah. So that's my winner. Yard pizza with pepperoni and sausage and grass. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I should have taken that. No, you're fine. Um, personally, my favorite food is Reese's Pieces. Um, but I did really appreciate that at one point, uh, Hitler mentions that he's going to eat a unicorn, and like later it shows him eating, and sh- he's just eating a unicorn head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Andy, what's your favorite food? So in Parenthood, um, Susan, who's Harley Jen Kozak, who's Joan, uh, Rick Moranis' wife, they obviously are trying to do this like Whole oh, Foods yeah. thing, and she, out of protest, gets a shoebox from under the bed, and it's filled with Clark Bar's and my favorite hostess cupcake and she hostess chooses cupcakes, the hostess cupcake yeah. Yeah. and she takes a big bite out of it out of protest i love it because i love write hostess, that down. That's good. love hostess cupcakes so. so i'm conflicted because i couldn't tell if that was her protesting his rules or if that was her having developed an eating disorder because of her <laughs> awful husband could be both well it's uh, don't call that like she just like by eating that cupcake i'm sure she's eating one tenth of the cupcakes all as normies eat Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Favorite outfit, Andy. Best outfit uh, was Cowboy Gill. Okay. Because it was it was uh, you know we had to improvise. <laughs> the had to the bath mat. I love the bath mat using that as the chaps. I love he the cuts little a bath hat. mat in half. I just the little the little hat that he wore, and he even made spurs. Right. I think he made spurs out of spoons. Yeah. Honorable mention, though, is the battle gear that uh, Sam Rockwell, Captain Clinsendorf, wears in the last battle. <laughs> the flamboyant battle gear. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mine, mine, mine was Cowboy Gill. Oh, very good. So yeah. I, I have several honorable mentions. I have Nathan's bangs. I've got mom wearing the cheetah <laughs> outfit. I've got Yorkie's paper-like uniform. Paper uniform. <laughs> yeah, That's not right. paper, but paper-like material. Uh, my winner is Rosie's shoes. I thought they were beautiful. Oh, yeah. I loved them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John. Who's your favorite alien? <laughs> Lucky for us, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with ET. But th- I just want to make sure that it's my favorite alien is ET and not his bratty partner who just took off without him. Yeah, yes. an alien hit and run or something. Oh uh, well, my ET's my pick as well. Andy, do you have a, a favorite? It's my alien? pick. And if you had worst alien, I would say the one the one that abandoned ET that just yeah. could not wait a minute longer to make sure he got back to the ship. So that's yeah. it. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Andy. Do you have a favorite special effects from one of these films? Yeah. So I just you know I go back to ET because it that that was an animatronic. It was it was a puppet. It was not CGI. And and I think that they they he sold it really well. I felt like it was it didn't feel fake. It felt like you know you really did connect with this character, and they did a great job of making him expressive, making his face expressive. And this was all done, you know, with with practical with a practical uh, costume and puppet and animatronic, what have you. I think they used different styles, but I think it's a, a great a great special effect. 
am I remembering this wrong? Or I swear, like, after the Phantom Menace that there was, like, pressure for uh, Steven Spielberg to go back and clean up the E.T. effects with and replace it with digital effects. And I'm so glad he didn't. But I seem to remember that was a thing. Yeah, and he did go in and ch- change, I think, the guns to walkie-talkie. I think there was some CGI that he went back and changed. I do not believe he changed the E.T. Yeah. E.T.'s so, gross. the best. He's gross. Yeah. Well, my favorite special effects. John, did you already say yours? Uh, no. Oh, please do. Okay, it's uh, the part where when Jojo's hanging up the propaganda posters and he puts up a picture oh, yeah. of Hitler and he wipes it down and it changes to Waika Taititi's face and then he wipes up and it's the original oh, propaganda poster of Hitler. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I went with flying bikes. It's uh, uh, yeah. They're crazy great. iconic. So, yeah. Those are like those those flying bikes. They exist, kind of like the uh, hoverboards and uh, Back to the Future that we yeah. were told really exist, but then they didn't. Okay. Mm. All right. What's your favorite location, John, from these films? Uh, damn cheese snail baguette land. Oh my gosh, that's mine! Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> I desperately want to go to snail cheese baguette land. <laughs> All right, Andy, what about you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to say I love the German Village and Jojo Rabbit, obviously, but I'm going to say the Southern California suburb in E.T. in the San Fernando Valley. And the reason why I say that is because it just it, it's that iconic early 80s suburban sprawl was starting to take off. You, you even see it in the bike sequence, right? All these homes being built. So you have all these cul-de-sacs and homes being built on the fringes of the you know the major cities in America. And it just evokes an era, right? I mean, the, the bike riding, the neighborhoods, the pizza delivery, everything about it just evokes that time in my life. And so that's why I love it. Uh, very good. All right, John. Do you have a favorite song? I know you do because you sent me a I sent you one. Yeah. Okay. That is why oh. all the guys in town, guys in town, follow you, follow you. <laughs> All around, all around, just like me, they long to be close to you. Uh... <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm glad I picked that one, and I'm glad I picked that part, because Andy, you should have done both parts when you sang. You didn't need Jeff to sing the other part. That's true, because <laughs> he, sang both, he, he, he sang both parts. Yep. He did both parts, yeah. Yeah. All right, Andy, what's your favorite song from these films? So I obviously love that one, but I'm going to say I, the song I Don't Want to Grow Up from Tom Waits, which is the song that played during the Hitler Youth Camp scene. Oh. And it was... Thank you for a Tom Waits fan. It was a great... Well, I'm not really a Tom Waits fan. And if I heard... I, I wrote down this in my notes. If I just heard the song on the radio, I wouldn't love it. But the fact that they mm. used that song to, you know, to play over this scene that was occurring that was... You kind of were, couldn't believe what you were seeing, but yet it just fit in. It just fit in with the kind of the absurdity yeah. uh, of of the of the moment. But it was it was good. It's a good song. So I loved in Jojo Rabbit when Captain Kletzendorf at the very end had his own soundtrack on a gramophone that yeah. was being towed behind him as he. So mm-hmm. that's lovely. But my pick is also from Parenthood. Um, here you go. When you're sliding in the first and you're feeling something first, diarrhea. Oh. Diarrhea. <laughs> the good old diarrhea. I, I was good. I, this was, I, I'm really glad I didn't mention that because I was going to say, don't forget, John, don't forget to do the diarrhea song as your honorable mention. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Thank you for having that clip. 
Takes you to a scout camp. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely money well spent. And I also, I don't know, this is a question I've always had. Like, it was, in, and Roy, you might know this from firsthand experience, but is from di- diarrhea? Diarrhea, all, according to the song, seems to be very baseball related primarily. <laughs> Like you, you always can't do get anything in baseball without getting diarrhea. Right, you always get diarrhea playing some aspect of baseball, according to yeah. the song. Yeah, well, sliding into yeah. first, second, third, and home. It's, yeah, there are yeah. phases of, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, we. I have to point out that Heroes, uh, the David Bowie song Heroes in German, sounds really great. Yeah. As does I want to yeah. hold your hand. So, opening and closing of Jojo Rabbit. Yep, very good. Okay, favorite guest star John. Okay, I have an honorable mention. Don't let me forget it. But I'm going to go with Alfie Allen, who plays Finkel, sure. Sam Rockwell's like uh, you know close associate friend. You know, it kind of sure. seems like you know maybe I don't know they might be closer than we think. But uh, I, I just want to point this out because he's the brother of pop star Lily Allen, Lily Allen, of whom I'm a fan. Oh, and Lily of course, Allen. you know, he's uh, Reek from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, what's his oh, name? Wow. You know, the Game of Thrones. I can't remember yeah, his real name, but about. yeah, that guy who's like you know had the it's a whole big thing. That guy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite guest star, Andy? I do. Erica Alaniac, who played Elliot's girlfriend, the one that he kisses in kisses. Oh. biology class. So she will later recur in um, Baywatch, Charles in Charge, and she co-starred with Steven Seagal in Under Siege. Charles so, in Charge. That's how I recognize. I saw her name in the yes. credits. I'm like, I know, I know that name. She's the Charles in yes. Charge person. Okay. Wow. Yes. And, okay. And then my honorable mention is Clint Howard as the bully baseball player's dad. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Archie Yates, who plays Yorkie, and oh, that kid good. steals every scene he's, he's in. Great. He's great. Yorkie's great. He's great. Um, I right. put Scarlett Johansson question mark because I didn't look it up. But have we done a Scarlett Johansson movie? It seems impossible that we haven't, but I can't think of anything. I can't think of one. I can't think of one. I might have to scroll a little bit. We haven't even dipped our toe into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's kind of amazing, huh? We haven't done it's one kind Marvel of movie. Huh. Yeah. All right. External recurring character. Andy, I think I know yours, but let's hear it. <laughs> I'm going to say Joaquin Phoenix, or as he was known in Parenthood, Leaf Phoenix. Uh, yeah. So I think you guys talked about The Village, which is a great M. Night Shyamalan film. He's great in it, um, but he. St- what, I think Parenthood was actually one of his first films. If I look back on in Wikipedia, and I think he was really good, really good in that film. A really good natural child actor, and he obviously matured to be a great adult actor. So, you know who else was in the Village? Bryce Dallas Howard, Bryce Dallas Howard. daughter of Ron, who That's was right. an extra sitting in the audience during the disastrous play at the end of Parenthood. Uh-huh. Excellent. John, what do you got? Uh, Really quick, I did not have to do very much research on this at all because Scarlett Johansson is perhaps most well-known for her role in Lost in Translation, uh, which is a movie we've done. Very good. Yep, That's excellent. Okay, external recurring character? Yeah, Scarlett Johansson, you got it. No, oh yeah, no, no, that's not what. I, okay. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention to Greedo, Hammerhead, and Walrus Man, the Star Very Wars good. figures, because we've seen those <laughs> Star Wars movies. Uh, but Casey Martell, who is one of the biker kids, he oh. plays Greg, the biker kid in ET, and also the boy Greg in Amityville Horror. Oh wow! Sting. Yeah. 
Uh, so I want to point out, obviously, that we had Tom Hulse from Amadeus. Obviously, and yeah. he kind of just plays Amadeus in this film. <laughs> yeah, he's. I think but he's great. He's really great. Tom Hulse is really great. I I kind of feel like ever I've seen him in two and a half movies. I mean, of course I've seen Amadeus, and he's really big in this. And I don't know what else I've seen. I know he's in Animal House and stuff, but I th- he always plays someone who's really nice and pleasant, but also that you want to punch really bad. <laughs> I have That's his John. He's good. Yeah. Do you have an internal recurring character for us, John? Uh, yeah, there is someone literal that I'll let you cover if you want to. But oh, I have an honorable mention for that. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, my real internal recurring character is short-haired single moms complaining about their exes, played by actresses with the initials DW, like oh Diane Beast and D Wallace. Yeah. Well, you stole wow. mine. Not all of that, but most of it. <laughs> That's good. Well, I went with hydroponics. <laughs> oh, that's good too. Sorry. From E.T. and Parenthood. But my honorable mention is Sean Murphy, who was in the music department for E.T. and Parenthood. Yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah, mine oh. was the parallels between D. Wallstone and Diane Weist and E.T. and Parenthood. Single mothers trying to make ends meet and have bad ex-husbands. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry about that. I didn't know. No, that's good. That was exact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I guess we are similar. All right. Did you have a favorite death, Andy? So, I mean, I, I guess you wouldn't say it's it's my favorite. It's the most affecting, and that is uh, Rosie, which mm. is uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah. it, it, I, I, it's not it's hard to say favorite death, but it's obviously one that is is, is huge to the plot of the film and um, really spurs it along emotionally with what Jojo's dealing with. So that's mine. Oh man, it is something else, and you you don't get to see her face. You never see anything other than her feet moving, and it's yep. just yeah, it's just so it's a tough one. John, what's your what's your what's the death that just made you the most tickled? You loved it. Okay, your very uh, favorite, my very favorite death. Okay, uh, don't let me forget my honorable mention on this one, but I have to go with Larry Amadeus. Yeah, who, he, who probably died. <laughs> he probably died. He was not at the end with all the babies, so that's yeah. true. Yeah, he's just dead. That's true. Okay, I'm going to honorable mention Nathan, who died via penny farthing in the Yuhu Jew book. Yeah. <laughs> they pointed out, who's Nathan? who's <laughs> getting run over by the penny farthing. Um, but, you know, if someone's got to die in one of these films, I'm I'm going to go with Hitler, who literally died during the film, but then also, you know, got kicked out JoJo's window. Yeah, JoJo, uh, he cleaned house as far as his bad imaginary friends go. And I will tell you this, that, that scene... In the in the screen that I saw, I think it was in Jordan Commons in Santa Utah. I think, and I think that the film was sold out. Cheers, cheers and claps, yeah. and, <laughs> and hollers when that happened Hitler's because it was window. kind of dramatic. I think he dropped yeah. the f bomb and blew him away with the shotgun. So, hmm. yeah. all right, uh, Andy, the best villain. Wait, 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 hold it, hold it. Honorable I'll mention, it. Honorable uh, mention. for uh, for death. It wasn't on screen, and it's just implied later, but uh, Cowboy Dan, uh, who went to the wrong place, and the people at the club beat him up pretty bad because he wasn't the stripper that they requested. (laughs) That's right. So he died in the hospital. Well, and if he didn't die in the hospital, he was finished off by Cowboy Guilty, (laughs) who shot a giant hole in him and was slipping on his guts. (laughs) Yes. Steve Martin figuratively at least killed Cowboy Dan, and maybe later that night. Literally. And some some people who were just like bystanders, they were walking by and they slipped on his guts. <laughs> so, all right, villain, John, villain. Okay, 
uh, I have an honorable mention. Don't let me forget this. But this is going to be controversial. But uh, Mary Steenburgen in the final play, when all the other parents are really concerned about the little kid who <laughs> destroys the play, and she She's just laughing. laughs and laughs, and it, it's it's that kid's mom <laughs> who's destroying the play, and they're just like, I can't believe that mother is just laughing. Our children work very hard on this, and I really felt for them. Yeah, okay. yeah that's a good one. What about you? Andy, who's your villain? <laughs> so my villain, I have a, a villain and an honorable mention. My villain is the inspector that comes to JoJo's house. Yeah. That um, is just, you know, just, you, you feel like it's going to, it's all going to fall apart right there. He, he's well, like the he guy went, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. He is. I he think is. it's from that same character. He just went back, you know, he went in the future yeah. and played him. And, and then yeah. my honorable mention is... Yeah, Diane Weiss' ex-husband Gary's real father. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So he even fixes kids' teeth as a dentist. Yeah, yeah. That inspector, he alludes to the fact that he had just come from like some sort of business in the town square, but he he had just hung uh, JoJo's mother. That's oh, where they'd come from. Oh goodness! Oh gosh! Because it happened right after that, didn't it? That he walked right, out. That's, yeah. Okay. And he makes a comment like, oh, that's what he was busy doing. So, uh, okay. Well, my villain is Hitler because he's pretty bad. Uh, My honorable mention is Nathan uh, because he's awful to his wife. And then Robards, who's also awful to his wife. Robards is big. Yeah. Yeah. Robards is big. Yep. Yeah. Okay. uh, My honorable mention. And Robards was in Dream a Little Dream, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I hate him. Oh, he's. (laughs) And he's so, he's so terrible. So mug. He's so terrible in Dream a Little Dream. No fault of his own, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, I just, I hate him so much in Dream a Little Dream. But he's like the least hateable person. But he's the most hateable person of anyone that I've ever met. Until okay, well, whatever. Yeah. Why do we uh, Dream a Little Dream? Okay, sorry. It's getting my John, blood okay. boiling. Who's your hero? Let's. No, no, let's, no, no, uh, no. Sorry, I have a, I have an honorable mention of a villain. And Andy, so I, you have the actor's name, the guy who says, "Hey, why don't you dazzle me for the promotion?" Steve Martin's Dennis, boss, Dennis, Dennis Dugan. Dugan, Dennis Dugan. I want to point him out. It's just the obnoxious guy. Is like, yeah, the, wine and dine these people. You know, forget your family, do all this stuff. You know, you have to dazzle me. You have to do. And he's like blackmailing him. You know, for this job he promised. And I just want to point it out because all Madsons are listening right now. He is, of course, Colonel Potter's wayward son-in-law who has an affair, <laughs> right. and and Colonel Potter That's has so to good, run John. Through that yeah. And get and guess what else he is? He went on, he went on to direct several Adam Sandler films, if that's any indication. So oh, Dennis Dugan became a director. He became a director, and he directed Adam Sandler films. A villain so, in so many ways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right, time to turn your heart towards the villain. No, the hero. The hero. Uh, the hero. Yeah. No. Okay, well, I, I mean, I have to say, I mentioned this already. I shouldn't have mentioned this in the summary, but Sam Rockwell, the Nazi who yells at Jojo and calls him a Jew and spits on Jojo, and it's just so, to in order to save Jojo, it's really interesting to me that in order to be heroic, uh, Sam Rockwell has to pretend to be who he was before. Um, yes. And he has to exercise his Nazi you know, power in order to other this other person who will have a better life because they are othered in that way. And he does it in in that harsh way. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird heroic kind of thing in a weird way. All right, Andy, what do you think? I actually had Sam Rockwell as well, John, for the very same reasons. So that's excellent. But, but I would put, I also put in Diane Weist 
because I think of her as a hero and, and, and the one who doesn't think of herself as a hero at all. And yet by the end of the film, um, she, she is as much a hero as anyone else in any, any of the movies. She just, she loves her kids so much. And I think it, it, it takes a lot of stumbling and trial for them to see how much she loves them. And, you know, and, and so to me, she's a hero. Diana is great. So my honorable mention is Sam Rockwell. So very good, everybody. Um, I've also got Rosie on there because she has to raise her kid in Nazi Germany while trying to have him not turn into a Nazi, but also while, you know, not running afoul of the law. But then, yeah, my note is Helen Buckman, who just loves her kids. So that's my hero. Yeah, she's great. Okay. All right. Movie goof. What, what did they do that was just a stupid mistake? Uh, so Andy, what do you got? Uh, so this isn't a very good one, but I, I just, the, the one, one, one of the challenges I had with ET is, um, if, if you remember that, you know, the big climactic scene where they're being chased on by bikes, by the authorities, it, it feels like it's one o'clock in the afternoon. And then, and then, and then he, and then he, I think this is all happening in the matter of 30, I'd say 15, 30 minutes. He, you know, they, they go up in the air and the bikes, great scene. Awesome. And you see them, you know, flying past suburban uh, San Fernando Valley and it's sunset. And then by the time they land down in the forest to get E.T. to where he needs to be to go home, it's pitch black. Yeah. So in a matter of, you know, 15, 30 minutes, it's gone from noonday sun to nighttime. So not a bit. I mean, it doesn't affect my love of that scene, but I'm like, hey, wait, that's well, uh, that should happen fast. E.T.'s ship destroyed the sun uh, in yeah. order to give E.T. a clear <laughs> yeah. getaway. Mm. All right, John, movie goof. Okay, well, it's funny that uh, Hitler, as portrayed in Jojo Rabbit, is very obviously from Wellington, New Zealand. <laughs> it, it, you guys haven't spent two years in New Zealand, but I, I've kind of loved Taika Waititi's rise to power because every time I see him talk and hear him talk and just see him, I'm like, I met a hundred guys exactly like this guy. He is the most <laughs> New Zealand person ever. Uh, and he's Jewish. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, Taika Waititi is Jewish. His mother is a Russian Jew, and his father is a uh, Maori. Maori, nice, yeah. And he looks, and he looks exactly, and yeah, he looks exactly like so many Maoris down there. They, you know, because they're all like everyone's just a little bit white, you know, yeah. a little bit, a little bit Maori, a little bit white, like so many. Yeah, people. yeah. So here's my movie goof. Keys, who comes into the clean room where everyone's got their spacesuits on. He's wearing like the short sleeve shirt version of the clean suit or like the capri sleeve version. So <laughs> I don't know what the point is of his clean suit if it's like got exposed skin for a couple inches at the wrists. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite funny moment? What made you laugh out loud, Andy? So this is one that's a family favorite and it goes back to Cowboy Gill, Steve Martin, and all the kids are, all the kids are saying, Hey, where's Cowboy Dan? Where's Cowboy Dan? And Cowboy Gill says, I saw Cowboy Dan and he looked like this. And Steve Martin makes this face and I wish you could see, you know, that face will always be ingrained in my head. And, And I think it's my, this is a shout out to my brother, Jeff. My brother Jeff loves that scene, and he loves the face that Steve Martin makes. And we talk about it all the time as a family. So I had to include that because it is a classic Steve Martin moment. And it's just goofy but funny, and it made the kids laugh. And it's just a great, it's just a great line. He looked, and he looked like at this, so I shot, so I shot him. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a great moment. 
Uh, okay, well, here's John's. A few years ago, I was living in Vegas with this girl. Showgirl. She was in that show, Elvis on Ice. Anywho, we drifted apart, as people do in these complicated times. And then a couple of months ago, she shows up with Cool, tells me, you watch him, I shot someone, I have to leave the country. <laughs> That's apparent? Huh. <laughs> anyway... It also works as my titular line. <laughs> That's apparent. And I, I, okay, so that was really long, but I had to get that beginning part because I also really love the part where he's like, I was living with a showgirl, and he glances over at Jason Robards, and Jason Robards is like, oh, hey, everybody. You know, like, so proud of him for living with a showgirl. Uh, and then he says, anywho, which cements his villainhood. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, here's my laugh out loud moment. And now she's got two knives. I know. How are you going to chop up stuff? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. How are you going to chop up stuff? Are you going to chop, chop up, up stuff? stuff? <laughs> oh, I thought it was great. pretty good. Anyway. Key of D minor moment. John, we had our laughs. What brought you down? You mentioned this for death. Everybody mentioned this for death. But this is Scar Joe uh, being hung. That's D minor. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 of course, JoJo finding her. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I'd agree. That was my number one. I, but I also like when ET got sick, uh, especially when I saw it when I was young. That was a, a sad, sad moment. You thought he was going to die, um, and then he came alive. But that was a sad moment um, when he got so sick and looked like he was dying. But Rosie's death, number one. So that's my pick too. My honorable mention, however, is in Parenthood when Steve Martin who's kind of feeling sorry for himself, he says, my whole life is have to. That's a good line. He has to do it. That's a great line. All right. Well, what the heck, Andy? What just shocked you to the core? So uh, this is (laughs) – I'm going to do one kind of little abstract and one from from the movie. But I think the WTH for me is – when I read in the Wikipedia page, the ET was made for $10.5 million. Oh, no kidding. And gross nearly $800 million. <laughs> and to me, that's $10.5 million well spent. I don't know how, I know this back in 1982, but how does Steven Spielberg make the movie for that small amount of money? Because you, yeah. you see all the money there on the screen. So that's, that was oh. a, what? But my other one is just in general, the hit, the Hitler youth camp scene. Um, yeah. because, because I think it sets the tone for the rest of the film. And when I went into this film, I had really no idea what it was about or what it was going to be like. And it just kind of was, was you're kind of laughing and being shocked at the same time. Kids stabbing themselves with their knives and, know. you know, and, and the, and the women, you know, going to their class. It just, it just is, it just was, what am I watching? I can't believe this. And, uh, and so it was, it was jarring in a very potent way, I guess you could say that scene. Yeah. When, when that kid threw the knife at the tree and then it just ricocheted and stabbed him in the leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my, I have an honorable mention for what the heck. Yeah. That. John, yeah. what, what's yours? Uh, okay. Well, they go down to the river and ET is just bloated and white and just gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, here's my real, what the heck moment. Hi, daddy. What's the matter, honey? You don't feel so good. <laughs> you feel like you want to throw up. Okay. okay. <laughs> Oh, man. That was so good. You didn't include the I'm waiting for her head to spin line. <laughs> JR, you probably had many moments where you've had a child throw up in a bed, and you're like, why can't you just walk the five feet to the bathroom, right? Okay, 
so we were in a house where my wife had just bought a $400 rug that she just loved, loved it, loved it, loved it. And we had a daughter that was sick. And so we knew she was sick. So we pulled out a bowl and like, okay, here, if you're going to puke, puke into this bowl. And then she puked right next to the bowl <laughs> all over the rug and it and it like ruined the rug for we could never fix that rug it was just oh, ruined man. and like she like the bowl was right there right <laughs> so. right parenthood anyway that reminds me of when i threw up on jeff's pants that one time yes <laughs> he just bought those pants uh, all right we are down to favorite we've quote. weaponized our vomit that's kids <laughs> andy what's your favorite quote from this these films my favorite quote is um, after Grandma in Parenthood has talked about how she loves roller coasters, how they're unpredictable and you go up and you go down and you never knew what to expect. And it was scary and thrilling and, and unexpected and, and fun all at once. And other people decided to merit ground and just went around and around. But I like the roller coaster. So at that point um, – uh, Karen, Mary Steenburgen says they got it. They, she gets an argument with Gil, right, with Steve Martin, and she says, "I happen to like the roller coaster." Okay, as far as I'm concerned, your grandmother's brilliant. And Gil <laughs> said, "Yeah, well, if she's so brilliant. Why is she sitting in her neighbor's car?" <laughs> it's, a, it's just a great line. It just—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's it's it's, it's kind of the—it's—it's—it it really is. It's great because it's almost—it's the climax of the film. Grandma makes this amazing quote um, that really kind of sums up everything, right, about being a parent. And yeah. and then he's like, well, she's so brilliant. Why is she seeing the neighbor's car? It's just – it's great. It's a great line. And a One great- thing I have to I have to say about Grandma's little speech is I love – Andy, you know, I love roller coasters. I'm not to your level, but I do – I love yes. roller coasters. And I think they're great and they're a lot of fun. But I watch Parenthood and I'm like, Grandma's making a great case for merry-go-rounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, all right, John, ready to hear your favorite quote? Okay, uh, really quick. Um, yes. Remember last week, I promised everybody that there is a line that Steve Martin says that has prevented me yes. from having children for 45 years. I've been waiting on the edge of my seat to find out. You know, when your kid is born, it could still be perfect. You haven't made any mistakes yet. And then they they grow up to be like like me. Oh, John, to your credit, if you had a kid that ended up like you, that'd be pretty great. Oh, that was a nice thing to say. I wouldn't like him, but I'm glad you would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, here's my quote. Oh, I'm going to do my honorable mention first. You're going to be a grandma? <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm too young. You know, grandmothers are old. They bake and they sew and they tell you stories about depression. <laughs> I was at Woodstock. I peed in a field. I've hung onto the hose helicopters and flew away. <laughs> I was at Woodstock. <laughs> oh, yeah? I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> oh, I so forgot good. she held onto the hose helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's the one I really went with. There are no weak Jews. I am descended from those who wrestle angels and kill giants. We were chosen by God. You were chosen by a pathetic little man who can't even grow a full mustache. Stronger race, huh? Oh, I loved it. Wrestled angels and killed giants. That's good. 
Yeah, yeah that's great. great that's line. great. Okay. Favorite scene. John, what's your favorite scene? Uh, I, I do want to point out, I, uh, by the way, if I had a kid, I would love my kid. I was thinking about it. You know what? I okay. probably would love my kid. Um, my favorite scene. Okay. And you mentioned this earlier um, that you didn't want to have a favorite shot. I'm actually kind of picking a favorite shot instead of favorite scene. Okay. And it's the scene I didn't notice until I went to grab some of my quotes and I was like watching E.T. again. And I completely missed this when I watched it earlier. But uh, in the scene after Elliot introduces Michael to E.T. and they go to school like the next day and Elliot rides off, there's just like a five second sequence where Michael is just sitting on the bus and everyone's on the bus throwing things. And he's just kind of staring blankly ahead, just lost in thought. And it's just kind of like he's realizing the, the entire universe has changed. And he's just wow. a completely changed person. And it just shows it just for a second. And it like has no other reason to be there. But I just, yeah, I really like that. That's great. Oh, wow. That's great, John. All right, Andy, what's your favorite scene? Oh, so it's hard because I, you know, the, 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 I love all three movies a lot. And so it's hard to pick. I, there, was, there was several small moments between Jojo and his mom that I loved. But I went ahead and went with, a somewhat obvious one, and that was when Jojo and Elsa dance at the end of the film. Oh, I, I have that on my honorable mention. I do yeah, it's that. really, really, really simple, and it just, it just, it just wraps the movie up really, really well. What do we do now? Mother, we dance. yeah, we his dance. mother talked a lot about dancing. Yes, yeah. exactly. dancing was a big deal to his mom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, my honorable mention also to the school play. That's great. And then uh, this is more of a moment than a scene, but after he kisses the girl in E.T. because of the quiet man thing, you can see that she just slightly twists her shoe a little bit. And yeah. it's just like that little moment, like, like I don't know, like, like first kiss. And kicking her leg up almost. Like, yeah, like yeah, almost like getting that. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that was great. That's a great okay. scene. So, but my favorite scene, and Andy has already alluded to this, is at the very end of Parenthood where Helen is with Keanu Reeves and her daughter and her son and, and Joaquin Phoenix says, he asks her about, you know, are they going to make it? And she's like, yeah, the chances aren't very good. And he's like, then why are you supporting this? And she says, because I love my kids and I want my kids to have what they want. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it's just perfect. It's a, it's, it's just I don't know. I loved it. Loved it. That's a great, that's a great, great scene. Yeah. I now declare. Okay, then. All right. Favorite actor, Andy, favorite actor from all these films. So, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken of her a lot, uh, but I'm going to say Diane Weist. I, I think her acting is impeccable and so good. My, my honorable mention, though, is Roman Griffin David, who played Jojo Rabbit. And, 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 you know, child actors, I think it's really hard sometimes to come across and be authentic and be real and be believable. And he's really good in this movie. I mean, when I watched it again, that is an, that's an ex, that, that's excellent acting. And so, uh, that, uh Dan, Diane Weiston and, uh, Roman Griffin David for me. Mm. All right, John, what do you think? Roman Griffin Davis. Uh, okay. Who I have, he, he is a kid, but you know what? I think the dance at the end clinched it. And where is that kid anyway? Like, yeah, how come I've only seen him in Jojo stuff. Rabbit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so these movies were challenging because of all the child actors, but I loved Drew Barrymore. I loved the kid who plays Yorkie. And my pick is Roman Griffin Davis. Gri- wow. Roman Griffin Davis. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that wow. guy. Wow. Yeah. Oh, we all picked that, That's that awesome. kid. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I had Sam Rockwell as an honorable mention as well. He was great. I hope he's adjusting well to Hollywood life, this kid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Andy, I don't know if you were aware of this part, but John and I are going to tell you which character, scene, and movie are the most you. Yeah. Oh, so no, I'm going to go it. ahead. And I did this. I filled this out while we were talking. So the Andiest character for me is going to be Helen, Diane Weist. So, John, what do you think? Uh, I went with Susan, Rick Moranis' uh, uh, wife. Uh, is it because I look Andy's good? eating is it, disorder? Is it because I look good in, in leotards and, uh, yeah, and, well, and, you, and in Jane Fonda? You've done a really good job. Uh, you've done a good job of, of you know staying fit and running marathons and stuff but also <laughs> well it, but in, in your kids your kids do a lot of stuff and you help you help support that you're, High not, achieving. you're not crazy like rick moranis though so i didn't want yeah. to think rick oh thanks john and thanks roy oh well you're welcome what what is the andiest scene john okay well the andiest scene this I'm, I'm gonna have to go with uh just the very end of et because andy was quoted in usa today of uh, watching the re-release of E.T. and he was interviewed and and he talked about how he got choked up at the end. So yowza, really? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it was USA it was, Today, wasn't it? It yeah. was during it was they re-released E.T. during the 2002 Olympics, and they and, and it was in Salt Lake. They did it in Bravenel Hall, and we had tickets to go see it. And then I was interviewed by a reporter after, and it was featured in USA Today. Yep. Wow. You don't have a link yep. to that anymore, do you? I don't think I do. I could probably Google it and see if I could find it. John yeah, needs I, it. I, I can look for it. Yeah. He needs yeah, it. We'll, yeah, we'll put okay. it on the show. Yeah. Well, uh, I picked the drag scene uh, aftermath from <laughs> uh, Parenthood, but what do I know? So uh, my andiest movie is Parenthood, uh, but I didn't know about this whole fame and fortune thing with USA Today and ET. John, what what is the andiest movie you well, should know? No, well, the andiest movie is Parenthood because... I mean, he picked three movies about parenthood, but this that's just the title. <laughs> so we're going to go parenthood. All right, folks, here we are. We're picking our, we're ranking these movies. So like you mentioned, um, you, you talked about the money that E.T. cost and made. I will mention that parenthood cost twice as much to make as E.T., by the way. Wow. But parent, parenthood still made $126 million, which is, that's kind of astonishing to me. Maybe it's easier um, to pay aliens, right? Maybe. So, yeah. I think it was a big hit. Jo- yeah, when it came out. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit also only cost $14 million. I checked several websites to make sure it wasn't a typo. I have no idea how Jojo Rabbit only cost $14 million. That's something. Yeah. Okay. He's good. He's he's a he's a good director. How much did uh Thor Love and Thunder cost? Probably two two fifty. Fifteen million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably in the more yeah, one hundred and fifty plus. I don't range. know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Andy, we're going to let you start with your third and then you'll get to do your big reveal last. So what is your third favorite of these movies? So this is going to be... Which one did you hate the most? Yeah. So this is going to be surprising given that it's the one that I chose to talk about. Um, but But it shows you how much I love these films, right? And so each one of them has a special place in my heart. But if I'm looking at what, what I feel is the best film, then number three for me is Parenthood, even though I love okay. it so much. It's my number three, John. What's your number three? Uh, we're yeah. I, I think I'm going to go with the uh, with the masses on this because it wasn't a very popular movie. I'm going to go with ET, the extraterrestrial. <laughs> I actually agree with you, John. I I know that e, I, so ET is a great film. I don't know. I 
I, I know. I feel like I'm not in on the joke a little bit with ET. I I am a little bit too, and it might. I don't know. I don't know quite know what it is, and I think okay. And I feel bad for saying this because it's me. It's something's well, wrong with us. Well, we're the problem. No, we're definitely the problem because we just talked about this thing about you know othering things and um you know and and you know acceptance of you know other living things. But ET e. is just too gross for me to love. He's gross. <laughs> He's just gross. Yeah. Yeah. The end when is it Mike? Is it his brother? Is is his brother's name Michael? Yeah. I think so. And Michael reaches out to like stroke ET's face, and and it's just like, uh, okay, all right. So my number two, because we're coming back around boomerang style, is Parenthood. John, yeah, it's mine. I think my number two is is Parenthood. I, I, it would probably be number one if it uh, had more Nazis. If it were more positive, <laughs> but actually, <laughs> but actually, that's what I love about it. I, I love how negative it is, and how it's positive in spite of all its negativity about all this stuff, about all the yeah. parenthood trauma. But uh, I mean, ultimately it's my number two this time. That means Andy, what is your number two and what is your number one? Now, my number two is ET the extraterrestrial, um, which I think might be shocking to John wow. because it's always been yeah. near the top of my list for the longest always. time. And I still love it. I, I and I, 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 you know, I hearken back to how it affected me when I was younger that's not to say that I like it less as an adult, um, but maybe the magic is one off just a little bit, but it still is a great film. So much to love about it. So much to love about how still Spielberg directed it. And it still packs an emotional punch for me. But my number one is Jojo rabbit. And, and it's interesting because it really was one of the most surprising cinematic experiences I've had where it continued to uh, just, it was unexpected. It went places I didn't expect to go. It had, it, it was a film with everything and, um, and I wasn't sure it would held up, would hold up and repeat viewing. And it did because part of the, part of the enjoyment of Jojo rabbit is going in and having that experience and witnessing such a, an interesting film the first time. So I thought, would, would, would I lose some of the magic by watching it again? And I didn't, I loved it just as much the second time. Hey. Well, that's also, we are mostly, uh, in sync here on this one, I think. Yeah, because uh, yours is all our, our number one is Jojo Rabbit, right? Yeah, we all have yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Well, it's it's, it's a, and, and you know, it's kind of and I I mentioned I I went into this I I was kind of going in kind of being like sharpening my scalpel and like I'm I'm going to tear Jojo Rabbit apart. I'm going to figure out you know what I'm going to have a hot take of you know. But you know what? It on the second viewing, it's like no, I am confirmed. Maybe this is just confirmation bias of what I already believe. But kind of what I believe is that Nazis are bad. That's still what I get out of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. So, you know, I know there's criticism and people don't, you know, see that that's what it's saying. But I, I think that's what it's saying, and I think it does a good job. But that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Great movie. Hey, Andy. Great movies. And now, uh, you know, let's see what you have to watch in a few weeks. That sounds great. Ooh. If you're ready, there was a tie. There is no longer a tie. It has nothing to do with me. I did not cast any votes wow. here. Uh, the fans have chosen, and I'm I'm actually really excited for this. I've never seen this movie before, and I can't believe I was worried that there wasn't going to be any ABBA involved whatsoever. Wow. But we will be watching Muriel's Wedding. Oh, that's oh my great. gosh! Who, who voted at the end there? I think Andy. Although Andy, Andy's a late voter, <laughs> and the vote. I, I'm hoping he didn't switch a vote. I think he just added a vote. Other uh, Andy? Muriel, Wilson Andy? Andy Wilson, yeah. yeah. Not you, Andy. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he voted a few days ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. Muriel's wedding is one ahead of both 16 candles and uh, my best friend's wedding. Which I, to, I, I was, I was, I was having a really hard time picking between those three. So I made it a tie. So it's fascinating to me. I didn't know that my best friend's wedding was that popular. I, I enjoyed, we own it. Um, but I was kind of surprised to see that up there with them. Anyway, I get to pick one. I don't know if this breaks the rules or not, but I figured, you know, black and white, Boris Karloff, Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, excellent. Except I'm just, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that because there's no wedding oh. in that movie. Oh. Now we're going to watch Fandango. So Are we really watching Fandango? Okay. We're watching Fandango. <laughs> I can't. I should have realized that would. Oh, okay. Fandango, which Andy. Andy, do you know Fandango? I don't. It's oh, a, I'm so excited. It's a Kevin Costner movie. I'm so excited. That, uh, you know, JR and Jake and Peter introduced me to once I finally moved back to Provo. <laughs> Got it. But it's like, it's it's our hangout movie. Yeah. So, so it's an early Kevin and, Costner film. Very it early. Is an early. Yeah. 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 And it's a wedding movie. Nice. Great. Okay. Yeah. All right, Andy. Your turn. Okay, to, you guys uh, ready? Well, yeah. John, yep. I think you're disappointed that I didn't choose a John Hughes film for one of my three films. So that is it's very predictable what I'm about to say, but good. I would love to choose Sixteen Candles. Okay. And I thought that might happen. I figured there was a good chance of that happening, which is why I kind of wanted the tie to happen so you could choose one and then the other. Um, but I am excited about Noah's wedding because I, yeah. I, I have only seen clips of it. I'm looking forward I, to seeing it. I, I only saw it once. It was forever ago. It was a long time ago. But, I mean, obviously it has elements that are very crucial to my life. Uh, and those elements are Bjorn, Benny, Agnetha, and Anifred. <laughs> uh Abba. That's right. Um, yeah. So, okay, that's uh, that's a that's a great lineup. This is going to be good. This is going to be really good. And I think I own sixteen candles, so that's always a relief. Yeah, so, I own sixteen yeah. candles and Fandango, so it's just Muriel's wedding. I got to rent or find. Yeah. Okay. And we will find those. That's that's great. This is a great way to start yeah. the year. Let's uh, start with uh, three wedding parties. Yeah. Okay. So. There's no category that was voted on because after this set of movies, we are going to be watching movies that made Mike Madsen. So very, very excited. This again. Okay. I'm looking forward to yeah. hearing what he what his three are. Yeah, in two weeks he's gonna have to come tell us what we're watching with him. And he then we, we will be posting a poll. You do have to help us choose Mike's community service. The random movie category is odd couple movies. And I thought about it and I think I would include the original lethal weapon on odd couple movies. Um, okay. So in, in case you're thinking of voting for that. Okay. Uh, John, what do you got? Oh shoot. I pick. Oh dang it. Okay. okay. Have you not chosen one? You look, okay. I'll, I'll tell you my pick while you're, while you're scraping. Okay. Okay. So it's a category that I just threw on there. I'm very excited about it. Category number 120 Give that chimp the rock. Animals who play sports movies. <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming we're going to watch at least one movie with a golden retriever. <laughs> so. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to do this. It won't win. Um, Day of the movies. Movies with Day of the in the title. Day of the Dolphin, Day of the Jackal, Day of the Salgado, Day of the Dead, Day of the Triffids. Possibly Remains of the Day. Remains of the day of the? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just has to have the words day and of and the in some order in the title? Yes, yes. Okay. Is this a new category you're in, you're inventing right now? No, it's on the sheet. Oh, what's the number? 
118. Oh, it's a new one. Yeah. Is that a Katie category? Um, is it? Maybe. Is it? Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll, and uh, Mike, if you're listening, you might want to vote because you're the one who has to watch these. Yes. Yeah. All right. Hey. Uh, that's this podcast. That's this podcast. By the way, um, before I forget, usually at the end of you know our podcast, like theme music, you know, we do an outtake from this podcast. I think I might throw in an outtake from the ours, ours, ours Patreon. So oh, just to whet anybody's appetite if they want to join the Patreon, give everyone a little, a little just, taste, just a of little, the, yeah, 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 of the glory. Okay, yeah. all right. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. Andy, thanks for joining us. Can't wait to be back in a couple Andy. weeks to talk about the the wedding movies. We'll have a good I, time. I hope Emily I had a, had a happy time. birthday despite not you not no, being she there. She did. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for being accommodating, and I will let her know that you wished her happy birthday. Thanks, John. Okay, it was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. It's all. It was. It was. It was great, Andy. Uh, yeah, great to have you. Uh, I love you. Can't wait till next week. Auf Wiedersehen. Take care. Okay, so, uh, hey, it's John here, and this is ours, ours, ours bonus content. This is not an outtake. Uh, I, uh, just spur of the moment, decided to do a non-outtake thing. Don't not expect a bunch of ums and coughs, though. Also, the washing machine is going in the back, well, the dryer is going in the background. So, uh, yeah, this isn't the professional stuff. <laughs> This is the paid stuff. How ironic, right? Yeah, you're paying for this. Anyway, uh, I just thought it might be fun to quickly mention that I got a book for Christmas. Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane by David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker. Uh, Not really authors, actually. I mean, those are the directors of the movie. But also, uh, it's written in, you know, the oral, you know, uh, what's the term, you know? The uh, not oral tradition. Well, you can tell this is definitely live. It's like the oral history of airplane, right? So it's mostly this, just them being all dialogue-y, not like. And then this happened, and once upon a time it was this. It was just it's just them talking to each other, pretty much. Plus, other people are just like inserted in. Anyway, I've read like a hundred pages of it, and it's really good. And I thought, hey, you know what? As long as I'm reading it, maybe I should just read it out loud for just a few minutes. And, uh, you know, and you can, it could be a preview. I don't know if there's an audiobook of this, but this is the only audio you get of it, or you can get of it. So maybe this will work. Maybe this is, is this content? Okay, anyway, I'm just going to read right in the middle. I'm in chapter, what's the chapter called? Uh, the chapter's called uh, Stucker. So this is the chapter about that Leon's getting larger guy because he just joined their Kentucky Fried Theater group in LA. This is before the movie happens, you know. And so they're talking about him and they're talking about their Kentucky Fried Theater group. Okay, so anyway. Uh, David Zucker says, Despite the rave reviews, our audience remained pretty small. Jim Abrahams. Then there was an Arab oil embargo. Gas prices skyrocketed to 84 cents per gallon. I worried whether people would still be able to afford to drive to our show. Jerry Zucker says, We couldn't afford to advertise in the LA Times, so we tried to drum up a little free publicity. There was a billboard in the empty lot next to the theater. We rented it for a month in big bold letters that said, This is it, Kentucky Fried Theater. Jim. 
and then we got a bunch of our friends together and staged a huge demonstration. The protesters marched in a circle around the empty lot, chanting, Save the sign! They claimed a big corporation was planning to tear down the sign and plant a tree in its place. David. The story played on the KABC News and on the front page of the LA Times calendar section. Suddenly, our Friday and Saturday night shows were packed. Jerry. We used to do a series of blackouts in the show. For the first one, the announcer would say, A fried egg! And I would basically just hit the floor and start quivering, and then flip over on my back and quiver some more. Oh, hey, laundry's done. David. And then the announcer would say, A fountain! Stucker would come out, do a ballet pose, and then spray... Stucker, he's the guy who... Leon's getting larger from the airplane movie. Stucker would come out, do a ballet pose, and then spray a a stream of water through his teeth into the first row. For the third blackout, the announcer would say simply, A pair of shoes. And when the lights came on, in the middle of the stage, there'd be a pair of shoes on a chair. Right around this time, our friend Rich Markey came out from Milwaukee, and he'd hang out with us backstage. Oh, now Rich Markey is talking. One night they couldn't find a pair of shoes, so in a panic they told me, Go on stage, just stand there, and don't do anything. The announcer said, Rich Markey. When the lights came up, there I was. Who's that guy? And it was a bigger laugh than before. I did that for the next six months. Yeah, I... I um... Um... Uh, who, uh... Like, it's so one of them. Yeah. Um... Um, let's see here. Um, I do want to say, uh, actually, maybe that's, maybe that's all I have to, actually, um, um, I always say a Katie is better than an Andy. Oh, well, you know, what's better than a Katie or an Andy, both Katie and Andy. Oh, that's true. Candy. Candy. Very good, John. (laughs) 80.